0: Who still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Took a shoot, fall off of the scaffolding. Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's Corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through, he'll answer questions from you. And he won the pony too. Thank you, fuck you,
1: bye. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Thank you, fuck you, bye. Thank you, fuck
2: you, bye. Hello again, friends. And you are our friends. And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's Drive Thru right here on another spring day. Although frosty for some, we are here with another hot day of wrestling talk. I'm your host, the great Brian Last. Reviews, questions, so much more controversy as always with this man the leader of the cult of cornet the only man i know suit for kidnapping alongside michael jordan and the rock mr jim cornet don't
3: forget about home depot and home depot and bank of america rock a con and by the way spring day my ass it, it's colder than a witch's tit here in the metropolitan Louisville area has been for the past few days now. We had unseasonably warm weather for a while and it stopped raining and we got rid of the severe thunderstorms and there was sun and it was it was just swell. And then right as thunder over Louisville Day comes and the Kentucky Derby Festival is underway and all the events and all the pomp and pageantry, we get a cold snap And we've had freezes the last couple of fucking nights. And it's brisk and chilly and soggy, and it's going to rain and rain and more rain. Not the severe thunderstorm kind of rain, just the cold, drizzly, bleh kind of rain for all of the derby festivities, for the most part, coming up here. They're going to be dodging it in and out. There's the the run for the rodents. They actually have a rat race. There's the great balloon race. Uh, they, they still have the steamboat race, I think. There's the Pegasus parade, the marathon, the mini marathon. That's for, only for Mexicans under the height of three foot six. Did you see those people in the uh, hot air balloon and it went up in flames? No, no, I didn't. Thank you for telling me another thing I'll not get into. A hot air. You know that does that does make sense because the the gas that is raising the the balloon is, it's not just hot air, right? There's some kind of gaseous substance that can catch fire in that. Or is there? Or isn't there? I am um, going to trust you. Why did your... you bring it up and then you don't know anything about you it? You brought up, up hot air balloons. You said it's a hot air balloon well, race. You brought up one catching on. Ours don't catch on fire. We'll see what happens in the race. When is you it? Know, are, you, are you, is, is it, it on TV? TV? It's on t v but people don't tune into the goddamn balloon race to see a crash. That's more for auto racing, but are you insinuating that somebody might to get ahead perpetrate arson on one of the balloons, and if so, are they explosive? You brought it up I think they're highly flammable, if I had to guess, but
2: they did something here. It wasn't even a race. they have like a Carnival every year where they raise the balloons up in the air and you get to just see them floating around a little while and then they all come back. It's no race though. But I think one year the wind started blowing them all over the place and
3: And one of them didn't come back. (laughs) What was that? Somebody said, Vince's new mustache looks like he's ready to challenge somebody to an around the world balloon race. But anyway, so the point is the weather's shitty here, right? As it's the big time of year for Louisville. And we watched Thunder Over Louisville on on the television Saturday night, obviously, instead of going not only in person in the middle of hundreds of thousands of people, but also because it was cold, colder than a banker's heart, I believe I've mentioned. And I've told you about Thunder Over Louisville, Brian. But it's the big fireworks display. It's the world's largest ongoing regular you know annual fireworks display i guess whatever the fuck is that true and i believe so there's some qualification there yeah yeah, they do one over the east river every year or every other year well i bet ours is bigger than that then wow because this is over the ohio river and they they close the whole bridge for two days now do you close your whole bridge for two days you're not allowed to throw any bodies in the river for two days beforehand all right. Well, in that case, but nevertheless, it's, it, there's a barge with fireworks. The bridge is set up with fireworks. It's on live local television. It's a big deal. Hundreds of thousands of people in good weather and even in bad weather gather. Shall we gather at the river to see this thing, right? And, they, and there's corporate sponsorship. And, it's, and there's an air show beforehand with the fighter pilots and the, the planes, which... Again, it was cloudy, so they couldn't do every bit of the daredevilness that they normally do. But it's a big day-long thing, right? Culminating with the fireworks. And they set up a command center down at the Galt House Hotel on the river. And it looks like mission control. It looks like NASA. And part of it, because they actually televised this, there's a control board. And it's like the ignition sequences, and they've got a guy that does the mission control voice. Ignition sequence three, two, blah, blah, blah. And they do a countdown, and they've, they've even got a big red abort button. And they had a contest that somebody gets to win. Or Obviously, somebody gets to win, but the person who wins gets to be the one that turns the key because when finally when it goes down the lights from 10 to 9 to 8 ignition ignition initiated blah 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 all this stuff and it gets down to the bottom the guy that really is the head of the whole thing turns one key and then the guy that wins the contest turns the other key and boom goes the dynamite here comes thunder over Louisville and it plays the soundtrack that you can hear for miles across the river and they blow off the fireworks last 30 minutes. The whole sky's lit up. I can see it. If I was on my deck, instead of watching my TV, if I was on my deck, I can see the lights from the river 15 miles away. It's amazing. But they get all the way down and we're watching with bated breath on the television. And they get all the way down, boom, and the guy turns his key and then the contest winner turns his key and this is what I love about live local television they get the big wide shot of the bridge it's all dark and the suddenly the soundtrack starts playing and you hear the music and nothing's happening and nothing's blowing (laughs) up and there ain't no fireworks and you start to hear the assembled people down there rumbling like ooh, ooh. And then Eddie Kingston dove over John Moxley. <laughs> but no, they, they, so they, then they, they'd have nothing to shoot, but a dark bridge on television. So they go back to their shot of command center there. It's when the room where now you see some guy with a fucking headset in front of a laptop typing and shaking his head and going, I don't know. what the, And then you see the fucking guy that won the contest in the background talking to the guy that runs the thing for real going, I, did I do something? And the guy's going, no, no, it wasn't you. And the, and the live commentators cut in with uh, the voiceover. Well, we, and it appears there may be uh, some delay here. And then suddenly, boom, they do something. and Cause the, then the soundtrack stops. And now the people are like, rum, 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 rum and then they started over again and it and it starts firing off so it was a it was a false start only for a little while but it was a great little fucking live local television high spot there that hundreds of thousands of people live and however many people watching television which was probably more than that and the, the no television program gets a higher rating in Louisville, Kentucky every year except the Kentucky Derby and and thunder I I I'm pretty sure from my days of monitoring Louisville ratings for OVW. Um Are you banging something? I'm doing this on the on the desk. Are you creating was,
2: your own thunder for the I was creating my own second? thunder
3: here? I was I was with emphasis doing this to, to show you It was thunder that it was thunder. <laughs> but there were hundreds of thousands of people that were sitting there going, eh. But they finally got what they were looking for. And you know what that's a good segue for, Brian Last? That's a good segue for hundreds of thousands of people are waiting for their cornets collectibles, but they're about to get them. Because I will have you know that thanks to the Featherbottom's speedy service system and assorted sorting systems, as well as their ultra-careful handling system, uh, we have gotten... It's the quickest start we've ever gotten on a sale. The sale started April the eighth, and if you ordered anything not involving an action figure from the eighth through the twentieth of April, your shit's either already in the mail, delivered, or processed and about to be dropped in the mail. Because they're 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 quick like that. Uh, all the magazines, the DVDs, miscellaneous things like that, and if your order involved an action figure because there was hundreds and hundreds of those. We've got the first 200 already either in the mail or packed up and about to be in the mail. I'll have you know. And we're cooking right along. So it won't be as long as it's been. Now it will slow down from here because the action figures being the biggest item, the, the one that requires the most careful packaging, as well as the, attention to detail on the signing and etc that does slow us down a bit rather than the magazines and the DVDs but yet we've got a good system going here and there will be another I believe 200 figures in the mail by this time next week if not more So, and there's no waiting right now for non-figure items at jimcornett.com and If you want to get in on the breast cancer pink and black action figure, we are down to the final, I believe, 300, if I'm not mistaken. These things are, it moves all the time, Brian. It's a fluid situation. 300, 350 or whatever, but we're running out of time. But that means almost seven grand so far at the the current time, we'll be going to fight cancer thanks to $10 off every figure Going to the American Cancer Society plus the Jeremy Bagley fundraiser, the John Fell fundraiser, and several other things people are doing. But nevertheless, that's a quick sale plug for you. Get them while they're hot. Are there competing fundraisers? Well, they're not competing, they're cooperating, but they're kicking in on various things and encouraging other people to do so because they're. They're, they're good, quality citizens that use their left and right turn indicators and care about the populace.
2: I like the idea we could have the listeners have a
3: fundraiser tournament. Well, but does that mean that the winner of the tournament gets all the funds that the other competitors raised to go to his charity? It could be like the charities could fight. And the winner gets all the money that everybody raised to go to whatever charity that he was supporting.
2: I was thinking just bragging rights, but whatever you think will work. No, I
3: think there needs to be some goddamn skin in this game, some good some reason to cause some violence and possibly some cheating and underhanded tactics. That's a that's the way to raise money to do good for people, is screw somebody. Alright, well you
2: seem in a good mood. Why don't we get going with some topics or something here on the show? And Jim, before we review anything or talk about anything. Well, we're going to talk about this. I was about to say before, what else is left? News broke yesterday as we are recording, a little bit before the beginning of WWE Monday Night Raw on the USA Network, that Raw in Chicago had an unexpected visitor, that being CM Punk. Reports have now come out that Punk may have been on the plane from Florida to Chicago with some of the talent. He came, he said hello to people met with triple h or at least saw triple h i don't know if met with is the right terminology. I,
3: I, I, yeah i think that might be a grandiose terminology saw and spoke with sounds to me like it would be accurate reports
2: are that he was asked to leave by either vince mcmahon through someone or just by the head of security on his own but that's the story as we know it what are your thoughts
3: Well, uh, last question or statement first, the head of security, I don't care who he is, is not going to ask uh, CM Punk to leave unless he was instructed to. The head of security for the WWE, whoever that may be, as I said these days, is not going to eject any wrestling personality without... Uh, either being instructed to or at least asking somebody, is he supposed to be here or whatever? And I think, obviously, the... Ha <laughs> ha! Hey, Punk saw some of the boys on the plane and said, hello, oh, why don't you come down and visit? Well, I've got some free time this afternoon. And do you remember when Jerry Jarrett took the Russian to Stamford to Titan Tower when he was still with TNA, when he was trying to yeah. get out of TNA, and they wouldn't oh, and let him go? Um, he said, okay. And he went down and visited and said hello to a few people. And at some point, and I can believe it was Vince because he's probably the only one that would have the, if it wasn't Vince, then whoever had the thought probably asked Vince since Vince was. From what we hear, making changes and corrections and additions and subtractions to the rest of the show all day.
2: Not only does he look like a villain, but now we're supposed to believe he's working from some kind of villain's lair where everyone's calling in. And
3: yes. He just answers the phone. Yes, do this. And then they well, do no, it. no, no, it's not the phone now. Come on now. We may be jumping ahead, but it's not the phone. This is the fucking 21st century. He's got the big time video screen where he it looks like he's beaming in from the Romulan... Spaceship onto the deck of the Enterprise, but nevertheless, Vince, or somewhat at a high level, probably made the call that he's under contract to Tony Khan, and this could be a litigation situation. It's not like the old days where some some guy that wanted booked. Somewhere, because he wasn't and didn't have a job, showed up at the back door and said hello to the boys and sat around to see if anybody would notice him. Punk is making, as we've talked about many times here on the show lately, a large check every week from AEW to sit at home and offer to come back and be shot down by the EVPs that are scared of him. But it's a valid contract where he's under contract and he's getting paid and if he's there, and it was already reported he was speaking with Triple H, then Tony Khan could, if he was want to do so, say that's contract tampering. So yeah, he, he's probably got to got to go. Um, <coughs> as well as the fact that it's just
2: <laughs> the last story before this that we talked about was him being worth potentially.
3: 52 million dollars a year to million, AEW. Yeah, and and now that he's heard that as well, uh, he give me wants a plane to, ticket to Chicago. <laughs> yeah. He, he's like, "Well, just just to let you know, I'm worth 50 million dollars to them, and we may be getting ahead of ourselves, it, it's the reports are we'll talk about later, I'm sure in the program that uh Warner Brothers Discovery Media Limited Incorporated LLC, or whatever the fuck they are these days, has said, well, we'd be interested in WWE programming. So, I mean, (laughs) or Punk could have probably already been back to work if the EVPs who have Tony's. Not only best interest, not at heart, but also his balls in their watch pocket, apparently, weren't such whiny little bitches that they sabotage it every time it's come up, and he wouldn't be able to be dangling himself around to other potential uh, interested parties, for fuck's sake.
2: I imagine Triple H is in the back, busy doing stuff. It's raw. I mean, busy, his dad, or dad, his father-in-law his dad was more like his grandfather but his father-in-law's at home barking orders to everyone through his evil video screen (laughs) everything's going on all of a sudden there's a tap on the shoulder you turn around hello there pal and it's fucking CM punk (laughs) remember when punk left he
3: had heat with triple h more than even vince yes the infamous line i don't have to work with you you have to work with me or need to work with you you need to work with me If you're Tony Khan, how do you react to this? Well, you can't prevent someone, especially under the circumstances, from going to visit friends if they were invited on a personal basis. Punk did not appear on the program or do anything in any professional capacity. You can wonder if you're Tony Khan and you can have your legal department send a cease and desist or contract tampering or whatever the fuck. And then the WWE can deny it, but that it's stuff that they don't like to have going on because if there ever is a real legitimate case, one of these days, then they don't want these little minor things to muddy the waters, you know, is like, cause now it's a track record, right? Well, they talk to this guy and this guy was here blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it's, it's, he wouldn't be doing that if he was at work at his job doing what he wants to be doing, but he's got a lot of free time on his hands cause the e v p s are gutless and don't have the company's best interests at heart, so he's able to wander around and do things to piss people off and he didn't he's not guilty of anything he did nothing illegal nor to violate his contract by going over and saying hello to people in his hometown when they're there and uh, they're visiting him rather than the other way around so (laughs) do you believe that
2: wrestlers should in these times uh, Swami's going, he obviously has thoughts on this in the era of contract tampering being a real thing and very little needs to be done to trigger that should wrestlers be banned from going to other promotions major
3: wrestlers, major promotions to their shows well they pretty much already are aren't they how often does it happen it's not a wise ricky thing starks to do. the ricky starks thing was a big deal well but here's the thing it only happens with tony's guys because they know either well nothing's going to happen bad or they're wanting to get fired they do other things to try to get fired he won't fire them Or they just don't give a shit because, or it's like they do it on purpose to say, hey, remember me? I'm over here. You know, you're not paying attention to me when I'm around but when I'm over here at the other place maybe this will get your attention. It's all of those things. But for the most part, you don't see that happening. As I said in the territory days and even sometimes in the old days of WCW and WWF guys who weren't booked in any meaningful place didn't have a spot at all or had or were somewhere that they wanted to get out of and didn't give a shit what that place thought would come and hang around visit people and try to be seen or just catch somebody's eye or whatever but it doesn't happen in in the modern era with guys under contracts except every once in a while when somebody in AEW has their feelings hurt and wants to get some attention or doesn't give a shit. When's the last time you saw a WWE contracted talent at any other show ever? When's last... I mean, no impact, I guess, works with everybody, you know, at one point or another, but besides that, Tony's got guys under contract to Ring of Honor that apparently Ring of Honor is in their own homes because they never leave them. They don't, you know, and so it just, but no, it, if you're under contract to a meaningful promotion, it's pretty much understood. You don't go and hang out at the other company's shows already. I remember the, what was the, the discount bushwhacker that came to the uh, TNA show, WrestleMania weekend, 15 years ago, we put him on television. He got fired. That was, that's. I don't know what an indication about.
2: what the discount bushwhacker we
3: just talked about that who was the they were they were oh oh the, the no they were scottish or they, Irish. that's right or, what were the names god i know what you're talking about now. scottish irish fellow highlanders know, highlanders and yeah he was sitting in the fucking crowd and we were in between i've told this story now you remember yeah. it, but we we were in between matches and they were getting crowd shots and somebody in the truck said, "Well, that's an old so and so, whatever his fucking name was." And Jeff's sitting there. He's what? That's it, it was a WWF wrestler. E, I guess it was by then, sitting in our crowd. And he "Okay, well, when we come back up, let's fucking <laughs> so everybody's here in Orlando to see." DNA impact and they had a shot of him and they Chironed his real name not his gimmick name because that would have been gimmick infringement copyright whatever because the stupid son of a bitch he was on television in the crowd anyway it's not like we shot him backstage he's sitting in the crowd watching the matches when he's in town for WrestleMania weekend and we're over at fucking Universal Studios with 800 people in a fucking
2: and NXT, uh, remember they showed Britt Baker on the sidelines, I think maybe during war games or something, and they're like,
3: that's Adam right. Cole's concerned girlfriend. That's right. So t- Everybody does it to Tony. So, because they know they're not going to get in trouble. I just saw Buddy Matthews in the Hall of Fame next to Rhea Ripley. There you go. Okay, <laughs> right. so All right, now we have to compile a list of all <laughs> AEW talent that has been seen or in some way affiliated with a WWE Umbrellas programming and see if it's more than 50% of them. Hey, real quick,
2: back to Punk. Dave Meltzer reported, I have a quote here, the feeling in WWE was that he was there because he wanted back. <laughs> Whether
3: that's true or not, I have no idea. Well, I'm I'm glad he was so... Uh... First, he says, well, this was the feeling, but I have no idea. Um, Why would you want back now if the guy's paying you to do absolutely nothing for him? Now, I can believe he might want back when this contract is up and he gets away from these fucking children that he's been working with for the most of the last year and a half or two. But uh, again... Uncle Dave has to well, now he's going head in hand begging for a job. He has a job. They just won't let him do it. He's still getting paid. He doesn't need to go anywhere and do anything. He came to fucking rattle some cages and and visit some old friends and just just let people know he was
2: around. Yeah, when was the last time a major salaried professional wrestler got
3: a gig by just showing up? Yeah. <laughs> You know, son of a bitch, Punk's out there. We forgot that he was (laughs) still around. But now that he has showed up and we see that he can still breathe, now we're interested. We never would have thought of that before. What the fuck? Punk said, I have an idea. I'm going to do what Harley Race did,
2: but just not light the ring on fire.
3: Yeah, well, there you go. Because I think that's where Harley went wrong was setting fire (laughs) to the ring. Yeah, no. if, If Punk wanted to go back to the WWE right now, right instantly. Get me out of here. I'll fucking, I'll tear up my own contract. Just get me out. He wouldn't go to the show and show up at catering to see if he could get booked. We would never hear about it until he made his fucking debut. But he knew, he knew that everybody would hear if he accepted the invitation of a few guys on the plane to come down and say hello, he knew everybody would hear about it, and he didn't have to say a word. And that's what he, exactly what he wanted to happen. Hey, Tony, you remember you're paying me a lot of money, and I could be performing for you, or I can be over here saying hello to my friends, and you can still send me my check every week.
2: Do you think Punk should go on tour with Raw where he just shows up at the venue and gets kicked out and no one sees it?
3: <laughs> yes. I think that actually three weeks in a row and he would have the most downloads of any wrestling personality on social media in the world. <laughs> if he did that three weeks in a row, there, people would be talking about nothing but CM Punk and, and Raw would be selling more tickets just for the people to be able to get in the parking lot and see if they can spot him. Cause it would be fucking, it would, it would just be interesting and scintillating, which is what they need shit to be. Well, we will see how this turns out, but the, uh, ever or never ending
2: story of the AEW drama slash what's going on with CM Punk continues. We will continue to cover it here. Jim, this past week, A&E had another edition of WWE Rivals. An interesting addition because one of the great rivalries, even though even though it's a relatively short period of time and
3: only a few matches, but Bret Hart and Steve Austin. And I am flipping through my notepad because I enjoyed this program and I want to confer to my notes on it. And again, we go back to 1996 and 1997. 25 years ago, a little bit more now. And by the way, this episode from what I understand did the highest rating of any of the Rivals episodes this season so far at least I believe. Cuz it involves Steve Austin and Bret Hart and people remember the WrestleMania match but also as we saw the footage of all the promos and the Survivor Series match that gets overlooked and etc. This wasn't Bobo Brazil and the Chic, and that it lasted 30 years, but it's memorable, and you see it again, like you see with most of these Rivals episodes that go back to the 80s or 90s. Grown ups and badasses trash-talking and fighting over shit that is serious to them. And that's the common thread that runs through all of this, and that's why that the one-hour program on A&E about a a rivalry that lasted for about nine months back 25 years ago between two guys does bigger viewers than fucking any or more viewers than any first-run wrestling program now except for the three under the WWE umbrella and AEW on Wednesday night. It beats Rampage. It beats Battle of the Belts. It kicks the shit out of Impact and anything else because it's actually good. It's actually real. It's actually believable. It's actually interesting. These guys look like something, and they're violent, and they're motivated, and they're pissed the fuck off, and they can talk, and their shit doesn't look phony, and they're not standing around waiting to catch some goddamn gymnast doing a fucking triple Lindy vault off the uneven parallel bars. And there wasn't constant fucking furniture, and every single implement that is sold on the shelves of Home Depot in the middle of the fucking ring, or special effects, or crash pads, how long ago was this program shot though because renee moxley good was on the panel and she's over across the street now what pertinent comment did she have to make she was there because she was from canada so they were constantly going back to ask her if she'd finally joined team stone cold or whatever hey, anything to break up gargano talking um, and that's another thing. He was fucking, he was still pissing the bed when, the, well, come to think of it, fuck, that could have been the fucking Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar rivals where he was still pissing the bed. But anyway, you know, Gargano, he, every night he sleeps like a baby, wakes up every hour screaming and pissing the bed. Nevertheless, I love the clips. You know, they set both guys up briefly Austin more than Brett since Brett was already pretty much of a star in the WWF at that point in time and then the Austin WCW clips I mean still people forget he was a an excellent worker very early on and boy did Bischoff again fuck up and tried to say his go well he didn't have any personality yeah fuck Bischoff just got I think fucking Uh, sidetracked with all of his shiny toys he got from vince to see what was under his nose and when he got all of vince's shiny toys then vince had to turn around and look at what was right under his nose you know what did suck though as
2: great as stone cold is and
3: even as interesting as his
2: ecw run was as limited as it was i loved him as stunning steve he was awesome as stunning steve austin yeah And it was just, we never got to see that ever again. (laughs) It was just, after a while, it was gone, and there was no coming back.
3: Well, but you know what? Also, the thing, as as the hair went, Stunning Steve had to go also. You can't be bald and stunning. I'm sorry. But nevertheless, the (laughs) ringmaster, um, what are you laughing at now? We have probably a bunch of bald listeners right now yelling at their radio. Like, how dare you? Who out there is bald and also thinks they're stunning? Yule Brenner. He I wouldn't call him stunning, maybe breathtaking. You said who thinks? He probably thinks it of himself. Breathtaking? I bet, bet called breathtaking. Bet. <laughs> what? Remember Elaine's doctor boyfriend called her and the ugly baby both breathtaking? Breathtaking, that's right. All right. So Ellie ring- Savalis. No, Telly Savalas was just cool, but he wasn't stunning. He was masculine, maybe. That's true. Anyway, the ringmaster, I'm going to get to this. The same problem. Vince had never seen Austin, right? Like he'd never seen anybody else. But for the same reason that... Bischoff was the only one in WCW that didn't know that Austin, everybody was talking about Steve Austin, great worker for little experience, but he's really good. And Austin and Pillman, the Hollywood blondes. And this guy's a great in-ring performer and a blah, blah, blah. And he's got all this potential. Everybody from, from uncle Dave in the newsletters to everybody in the business. I knew about him. I was watching him. The Hollywood blondes were the only thing I was watching of WCW at that point in Smoky Mountain. But everybody knew he was going to be a star of some kind. He had the talent to do so. But he comes up to the WWF and Vince had never seen him like he'd never seen anybody. And he sits down and does the same thing. Everybody, Jim Ross, me, Bruce, everybody would tell him, oh, yeah, this guy's great. But then he'd sit down and talk to the guy. And at that point, there was no stone cold. And I, Vince wanted to do something different, I'm sure, than what he had done in WCW, Stunning Steve or whatever the fuck. And Pillman wasn't there yet. So they couldn't do the Hollywood blondes, even though Vince doesn't like tag teams. So the only thing that Vince got, and this was right when I joined Creative. And I said, what? The only thing that Vince got from everybody telling him how great Austin was, was that he was great in the ring. He was a great in-ring worker. He was a great wrestler. So to Vince, somehow, that meant that he couldn't talk on his own and he'd been doing those ECW promos, right? Yeah. But, But Vince hadn't seen those either. That He would give him DiBiase as a manager and he would be the ringmaster because he's the master of the ring, the ringmaster. He's great in the ring. In Vince's mind, that was a great gimmick to give the guy because he that's what he's good at. He's great in the ring. But then you got Ted DiBiase, who, bless Teddy, was a Hall of Famer as a wrestler but wasn't a great manager. And also, the whole thing didn't fit. It wasn't a great gimmick. Austin and DiBiase didn't have a lot in common uh, in their presentation. And it just, it was bleh. And you weren't hearing from Austin. And the good thing is, after a a couple months, that's when Ted bailed and went to WCW for... (laughs) An even bigger guaranteed contract to stand around and manage the NWO. I don't know what the fuck was going on there. Well, then Vince lost interest. And just... Then we said, well, can he just start doing his own promos? And, you know, what about we just call him Steve Austin? Okay. Because he wasn't interested anymore. Because it the thing that he thought of didn't work. And within a couple of months, because... Austin was so good and felt more comfortable. He's, you know, he's about to win the King of the Ring, and or you know, uh, he originally wasn't going to, but that's when the curtain call happened. So that's everybody kind of mobilized <laughs> to get this by Vince without him noticing that. Well, how about Austin? Boy, he deserved it. He's worked hard, Vince. Okay. So he's about to win the King of the Ring, and then he comes up with a stone-cold idea, and then he does the Austin 316 promo. And suddenly we got a a star, because he was lucky enough that his manager quit after a couple months, and Vince turned his back for a few minutes. And the curtain call. And the curtain call. Actually, when you think about it, the curtain call may have been a disrespectful piece of shit thing to do to the business, but without it, there wouldn't have been a Stone Cold Steve Austin. What do you think would have happened over the next six
2: months to a year if they had gone through the? If, let's say the curtain call doesn't happen, Diesel and Razor Ramon leave without incident, Hunter Hearst Helmsley wins the King of the Ring. Do you think Steve Austin gets the chance to break out, or what do you think happens?
3: See, you can never tell about something like this because he, it was his talent and his just him that the people liked everything that he did to create himself. But would he have gotten the opportunity to do those things? He would have never said Austin 316 because he wouldn't have been in the finals, of the king of the ring with Jake. You know, it, it, he still would have been a star. I think eventually because his work would have been recognized both by the office and by the fans and you know, something would have happened, but would stone cold as we know him today and just all of those things have lined up just right. And would it have been, if it had been delayed any longer, would they have maybe got tired of waiting for him to be a bigger star? The fans, I mean by they, you know, you can't, you can't, Say it wouldn't have happened at all because it wasn't, Steve wasn't just a manufactured, homogenized, you know, sports entertainer that was pushed and got a spot. He had talent and he was good, so he should have been able to get over in a variety of environments. Eventually, something would have caught on, but could it have been that big because that was the perfect time and the perfect way that things happened? That's the question. So the answer is there is no answer. Like you said, the one benefit of the curtain call was that. That's the thing is that sometimes he's proof, especially that even if Vince gives you a bad gimmick, if it doesn't go on too long and Vince loses enough interest and you've got enough talent and you get the opportunity, you can show it, but it doesn't happen. More often than it does that way, where you never get really a chance to show, you know, whatever the fuck.
2: I understand DiBiase, especially as a heel, was a good talker, but because of his height especially, why why did Vince always want to make him a manager?
3: Well, because he was a good talker, and because also, Teddy, that's he was retired at that point, and didn't Teddy have a Lloyds of London policy also? I believe so. Or something happened that he could never wrestle again. Yeah, so he could still contribute in terms of he was a good promo. And everybody knew the Million Dollar Man was an ex-wrestler. So yes, he's 6'2 or 3 or whatever he was. I don't think that was a bad thing necessarily for him. It's when the the manager that was never a wrestler was twice the size of one of the guys, and that was an issue. But But the thing is, there's, as we've seen with a variety of people, there's a difference between being able to talk and get yourself over as a wrestler and being able to talk and get your talent or your talents issues over as a manager. And, and also to be honest, again, as we mentioned, the ringmaster gimmick was the shits. What, you know, it just wasn't. And then he gave him the million dollar belt, which was at that point, you know, 10 years previous. And, that's when, you know, to be honest, one thing that old stain used to say that I agreed with was that Vince was going, needed to modernize the approach. He couldn't do the, say, the honky-tonk man, you know, bless Wayne, did not exactly fit into the WWF of 1997 because of the gimmick being so tied to the 80s. It was retro shit. You can have history, but you can't, it's like now with the LWO, that was 25 years ago, and they're doing it now, and I don't know that there was a big call for it to come back. So Vince would a lot of times go to, oh, give him the million-dollar belt and put a Hall of Famer in his corner or whatever, that'll get him over Well, not really, not. You know, we want to see somebody different. It, it, he doesn't have anything to do with the million-dollar belt or the million-dollar man or the honky-tonk man or whatever the fuck. So, you know, that's that's often a problem with Vince.
2: Yeah, I mean, the ringmaster came in right around the same time he brought in all those guys like Tracy Smothers and everyone and gave them all silly names or silly gimmicks because one of the scenes where Brett accepts the challenge from Steve Austin, there's T.L.
3: Hopper next to Steve Austin yes, in the back. Yes, yes. And again, that just, I won't go off on a tangent here, but I will. None of those guys were meant to come in and have gimmicks at all past the ones they might have already had and been using as their name or their, you know, gimmick that they wrestled under. It was meant because Vince was constantly complaining about we have no variety because he had the smallest talent roster through whatever reason. Early 1996 there was almost nobody on the roster. It was like 15 guys on each side. And you couldn't have TV matches that were different from your arena matches that you expected people to pay to see back in those days. That was still that and pay-per-views primary revenue source. So I said, "Let's bring in on not a full-time basis, but a part-time basis recognized wrestlers from different parts of the country to have competitive TV matches with our stars and put them over. You bring the guys in, get them a win or two on television to establish they do beat someone sometime. And then if you don't beat it to death, you can have them do three or four jobs over a period of three months on television to bigger stars have good matches, blah, blah, blah. That turned into, let's take all these guys, give them ridiculous names and fucking ridiculous gimmicks and beat them on TV every week. So they became the same as the job guys we had fucking previously. But that's what was going on there. Yes. The goon. Uh, Poor Bill Irwin, because in his interview with Vince, he made the mistake of saying he had played some hockey because he's from Minnesota. And he'd played some hockey in, I guess, college. And he became the goon trying to fucking walk around on goddamn ice skate looking fucking wrestling boots. If I had an interview with Vince, I would just say, like, exactly what I
2: wanted to do. Like, so tell me, uh, you know, about your life. You know, Vince, the only thing I could say to describe me is I love being on vacation. (laughs) I just love vacation. The only thing I want you
3: to think about is this man loves being on vacation in tropical locales. Next week on Raw, the debut of Traveling Man, Brian Last. And then you never show up. You're always in a different location. (laughs) Well, you send in videos because you're on vacation. You know, and by the way, when they used to say, when Walter Cronkite was ready to step down, the most trusted man in America was ready to leave the CBS Evening News after 30-something years in broadcasting or whatever, highest ratings in television news, the last year or two, he had a lot of guest guest uh, hosts of the program and they would say, Walter Cronkite will be back next week. Tonight, he's on assignment or whatever the case. Well, he he had named his boat assignment. So every time they said, Walter Cronkite is on assignment, he was on his fucking boat. Anyway, back to the I was this like this program. guest
2: host. I was like the guest host. Like, you know,
3: tomorrow you'll be joined by Joan Rivers. Well, no, they didn't put Joan Rivers on the CBS Evening News. She was on the NBC Evening News. Anyway, <laughs> back to this program. So Austin wins King of the Ring, and Austin 316 is born. And then the challenge for Brett at Survivor Series, and Brett had been gone all of 96. He After he dropped Belt to Sean, he left, made what, that Lonesome Dove series or the movie did some acting and let Sean mentally self-destruct as he knew he would. And then he was ready to come back at the end of the year, and they start this because Austin, by then, he's won the king of the ring. And at that point, I that's the period of time I was on the creative team. So I, they we wanted to elevate, just as they said on the program here. We wanted to elevate Austin. Even though the people were liking him and getting into everything, he'd won the King of the Ring, but now he needs to see, to show that he is equal to, competitive with, the Undertakers, the Michaelses, the Bret Harts, the very top level guys in the company, and and this is when Vince was very serious in '96, '97, '98, especially about his pay-per-view main events. And we had to have we had to have the pay-per-view main event and usually the top two matches. A couple of shows out at least in mind. Because he and and you'll see we had a heck of a string of main events going that were intriguing to people and that led from one thing to another, from one month to another, and still didn't burn out a lot of those matches because the talent roster was so thick. But when you go back and look at at Austin challenging Brett, and there's poor Michael Hayes with the shortest hair he's had before or since ever in his life doing the interview. But when he challenged Brett for the Survivor Series and the buildup, you're not seeing anything on the programs today that's as convincing or as passionate as believable it's real to them even if you know it's not real you have to think it's real to the guys talking about it there's animosity there's emotion they look good they sound good and there's a grittiness to the presentation and the announcer you know even if he did look ridiculous like Michael Hayes in a tuxedo with fucking short hair or whatever there's some element of sporting presentation to it, to where you can lose yourself in it. And we don't see, there's none of that energy on the programs these days. And so the Survivor Series 96 match, and you're a Bret Hart aficionado par excellence, but my favorite is, the WrestleMania match that they covered here at a moment. And most people's arc in, in, in my opinion, the best WWF match maybe ever, ever. But this one wasn't fucking, you know, bad to begin with either It's survivor series. It just gets overlooked. But, and this was when Brett was on the tail end of being a baby face and Austin was still the heel. And slowly those things would, reverse themselves over the next five months but that match was and brett beat austin with a quick roll-up so austin had a gripe but he had established himself as being competitive your your thoughts it wasn't a quick roll-up brett pushed off the ropes and went Head over
2: heels while Austin still had him, right, and was able to pin him. It was a very mem- Brett always had memorable finishes. Yeah, it was. It
3: was well. That was the version of the old. Uh, who did it? Uh, was it Stajak and Morales? That Me. was there was the full Nelson instead of the the Austin had the fucking hold the million uh, the Cobra million dollar dream whatever. And then Brett kicks the turnbuckles and rolls up over the top of him, but that's what uh, they did with Stajak and Morales when they switched the title in 73 with the full Nelson, right? This was the only match that mattered that night
2: at the Survivor Series. You know, even Sean and Sid, that was the famous night where the fans were more into just booing Sean of the building (laughs) than what the match actually was. Sid was the most popular wrestler of all time that night in Madison Square Garden. Debut with The Rock. But the buildup was serious. You wanted to see Brett come back. Brett came back with a classic match. You say it's not the WrestleMania match. It's not. But it's an excellent match. It is an yeah. excellent, excellent match.
3: And that's, you know, as I said, it gets overlooked because of the other one. But um and then they the starting of the build to Mania 97. And with the rumble in January. And finally we get the collision of Austin and he oh, he's made the big statement. I forget how many people he had dumped and then here comes Brett and again Pat Patterson was so instrumental in in putting this match together as he was with a lot of the rumbles, but it was perfect because again the the rumble at at during that era started really developing as the the bill to WrestleMania: the winner gets the shot, or the, whatever the case. And you know, again, the roster was so thick; you had so many stars in that fucking thing. But Brett and Austin were the the stars of it, and the finish was simple again because Brett dumped Austin, but the referee didn't see it, and then Austin dumped Brett, and because it was still babyface Brett and heel Austin the finish worked, but Brett had a reason to complain, and he started complaining, and he didn't stop complaining, because at first, they weren't, we weren't planning this at this point, months and months in advance, because a lot of this was reacting to how the fans were taking everything, and remember, I said, for example, at, after Montreal, Vince thought that he would be the babyface the first week on television when he gave his side of the story and, you know, and no, fuck you, we're not buying that. Well, he could also see when when Brett did have a legitimate complaint, he's been screwed, a, a fucking heel goddamn screwed him. He really did eliminate the heel first. But because the people were starting to like Austin so much, that's when he encouraged Brett to keep complaining because <laughs> I don't even know if Brett really realized fully, you know, he, he got with it, but at first it was like, okay, I should complain. I got screwed. But anyway, the, the sympathies of the fans slowly started reversing. And I get the part that I was surprised at to this day, or maybe they just did it for the program. I know that, I know that Austin really, I heard that he really reacted this way, but again, it's because of Vince's fascination with terminology and certain words and some, what are words for when no one listens anymore? What we were pitching or what we were envisioning, myself, Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross, was an I quit match. A, a Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard neither of them noted as you know Gracie Jiu-Jitsu masters or you know UFC fighters and i quit match it was basically Vince wanted a stipulation that would be greater than just a single match for the return match between Austin and Brett and he wanted and it You didn't want to just do no disqualification. Lazy booking. But what can we make attractive between these two guys that are smash mouth, hard ass, especially with Austin. He's a fucking fighter. He's a brawler. I quit. It goes till somebody's had enough and tells the other man they're the better man. That type of of visceral, I'm going to humiliate you type of fight, right? See what I'm saying? You can't
2: actually see who's going to win and who's going to lose when you think about it because you can't see the person who's going to lose doing it. You
3: don't see either one of these guys quitting. But Vince, for whatever, the, well, it's then they're submitting. Well, then he, uh, but I quit. He thought I quit. I don't know if it sounded too wrestling, too southern, whatever. But he, a submission match. Well, then <laughs> it sounded like, as Austin said, well, I don't know any goddamn submissions and he was somewhat pissed off when they told him about it and i and i wouldn't blame him if he was thinking he was getting into a goddamn okay brett's got one submission hold i have none but no that's what it was and that's what it turned out to be was the fight amongst two guys a bloody brawl until you know one man finally couldn't go on and the thing that completed the double turn was that Austin wouldn't quit, but he would pass out, which is that finish is as old as the Hills in wrestling in terms of a baby face, not submitting to the traveling heel world champion that had come in, but passing out from the pain of the figure four or the, whatever the case. But in this case, and and obviously, you know, juice was not called for because there was a no-blood policy, and that was another one of the things that Bret Hart could get away with, and thank God for it. Because obviously, if it wasn't for Vince and saying we can't have blood, everybody else would have said, Oh, you got to have some juice. But that completed the double turn in that Austin doesn't quit. He loses, but he passed out. And Bret Hart not only beats the guy that way when the people are already rooting for Austin to win by the end of the match anyway, but Brett not only beats him that way, but then continues kicking the shit out of him afterwards. What a fucking prick. And that was the incredible and elusive double turn. You don't see that many of them. It was much better than the Midnight and the Road Warriors in New Orleans in October of of, uh, 88 Although we did a pretty good job of ours, but this one was one of the greatest matches of all time. And again, Ken Shamrock. And because remember, it was when we watched this after we watched the Brett biography a few months ago, or whenever it was. How ironic that Ken Shamrock came into the WWF here in his first major. Appearance was as a referee in a match between two other guys. And when Bret Hart leaves and goes to WCW at the end of '97, his first major appearance is to be the referee in a match between two other guys. But he was the ringside enforcer. Well, I forget what his exact role was. He wasn't just a referee. Well, here's the point I loved Ken Shamrock, I thought he had a tremendous. Aura about him. He was a good worker. That was a legitimate UFC guy. He was one of the few guys that could do both at a high level. And he was coming in, and that's where Vince says, "Let's make him the enforcer of the, because he was a submission fighter. Because he was a UFC, a mixed martial arts guy." I was not in favor of day de- like I wasn't in favor of debuting Bret Hart as a referee, which I thought was ignorant. I was not in favor of debuting shamrock as a referee in a match. But since Vince had the whole submission flavor thing going, it ended up that it, that's why that kind of fit. Okay. I guess we can do that. But you know, the thing of Brett and shamrock had a, they had known each other and had a lot of respect for each other and had a relationship. So, you know, there wasn't any issue, but it, it, I thought that was somewhat extraneous. They didn't really need Ken at that point in that spot. But again, like, you know, a a fight from start to finish on that match, the crowd had turned by the end. The fact that you didn't ever see blood at that period of time, except in a couple of Brett's matches, where he either worked his magic and told Vince that it was a hard way or he just took the heat for it. So that made it so special, and the iconic image, and an incredible sell job. And when Brett says it's the best match of his career, and Brett don't often talk about the rotten matches that he may have ever or ever not had, but when he calls something the best, that's saying something. And, you know, but that's my final thought, and I'll let you say something on the Rivals episode. So this rivalry lasted for six months and then six months later, Brett was gone from the WWF and they never wrestled again. So we remember this shit from 25 years ago for guys that were involved with each other for six months, better than we do what was on TV last week. Your thoughts.
2: Think about how many things in Steve Austin's career only lasted a short period of time, but people still talk about them today. You brought up the Hollywood blondes earlier. That was only several months. The Brett Austin feud. I mean, technically it still extended to like the Calgary Stampede show, but this was really, in a lot of ways, the end of the big part of the feud. Yeah. There are a lot of things in Steve Austin's career that were so memorable, but really were just short periods of time.
3: Well, and one we'll talk about, probably on the experience this week, Austin and Michaels, which was... (laughs) Another one that was just a few months I was about to say a hot rivalry of, can we get him in the ring to drop the belt to Steve? And that, uh, but everybody remembers it because of Steve Austin and Mike Tyson. So, and the fact that a lot of people were watching television at that point in time.
2: Well, you know, Jim, a lot of people were watching television. A lot of people saw that image of Steve Austin with the blood dripping down his face. It was called iconic by several of the people, one after another seemingly on that panel one thing people don't talk about when they talk about that image
3: nose hair no one talks about steve austin's nose hair you know that's a that's a great point because boy when he reared back and you could see right up both nostrils the east one and the west one or was it north and south i'm not sure but nevertheless you could you could literally see a forest of nose hair Uh, In between the, uh, the blood and the sweat and the tears. And that is never good, folks. When it looks like you have taken a gerbil and stuffed it up your left nostril, it's not good. When you walk around and it looks like you've got an SOS pad from the kitchen hanging out of your nose, it's not good. And that's why our friends at Manscaped have got something brand new on the market to make you even slicker and more cleanly shaven than ever before. Now, we've talked about making sure you, you shave your taint and your your region around your sphincter and your balls and the, the, the root of Mr. Johnson and even underarms. The root? And, well, the root. But well, you don't want to shave the tip. If you have to shave the tip of your dick... <laughs> you need to be making some kind of movies. I don't know what to fucking tell you there, but you just well, you want to get the weeds from around the root. Let the rest of it kind of grow unmolested. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you need to, and 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 then we're talking about the 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 whole the beard, the whole nine yards, but the nose hair is important. And that's why the brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 ear and nose hair trimmer has been totally revamped with a new and improved blade and motor, and dare I say this to you, ladies and gentlemen, the best ear and nose hair trimmer ever. Now, of course, you got the hair coming out of your ears also. It it looks like potentially you've gone to sleep in a low-income environment and and some kind of rat or mouse or furry thing has crawled into your head to uh, to take respite. You need to get that stuff out of there. You'll hear better also. And it's cordless, rechargeable. It comes with skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and snags and tugs. Although, let's be honest, if you've got enough hair in your nose or in your ears that you're going to be tugging and snagging a lot, then you might just need to go in there with a goddamn weed eater. Nevertheless, the weed whacker... 2.0 2.0 ear and nose hair trimmer will do the job on almost any, even the the stubborn nose and ear hair, and as well the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the star of the performance package 4.0. See, a lot of these things have numbers, Brian. They got numbers. The Weed Whacker's up to 2.0. The performance package is up to 4.0 with the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. I'm still at on the measuring stick. But nevertheless, so you can go right now and get the Performance Package 4.0, which has the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer. And after you do all of that and get rid of your hair, then clear your nose out, get rid of your ball smell with the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver, the ball toner and deodorant and moisture, moisturizer, or moisture. Do you have moisture around your balls, Brian? Not that I'm aware of currently, no. All righty. Well, keep them from sticking to your leg with all of this stuff. That's what I'm telling you. I'll I, do what I can. Thank you. You'll t- well, because <laughs> right now you've got them tied up in that gimmick sling you've made for them to keep them, what? <laughs> keep them up supported up there and away from your legs and things that they'll bump on as you walk across the room where well, you can let go of that sling and you can just... Put some reviver on them and some preserver. You know, let let go of the
2: sling. I'm holding the sling up with my other hand or with, well, not my other hand. I'm using a hand.
3: Have you ever had to my to ball take sling? Your, have you ever had to take your fucking hair dryer? and just in the summertime, you just get out of the shower and you haven't shaved your crotch in so long. You have to take <laughs> your hair dryer And before you get mildew down there, dry the hair around the boys. I've never had this problem. Have you ever lived in Louisiana? (laughs) See, let me tell you something. Anyway, and right now, folks, the the fine folks at Manscaped also have the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit, which contains plus nine or nine plus products plus wet goods. Apparently, this contains more than nine products (laughs) and wet goods. (laughs) <laughs> and it's everything you need to craft your well they've got the beard moisturizer and the beard conditioner and the the beard snood what? and the whole thing where you can snood. you know do everything with your beard it's it's a, it's a support system that keeps it, it, you know sometimes if you wake up you've got a long beard say down to your crotch or so and you wake up after a hard night's sleep well that beard's everywhere if you put like a snood around it it's it's like one of those things that slips over the front of a a sports car, and it keeps the bugs off the bumper. you've never had a beard. What's the most you've ever grown your beard? Um, about what it is right now, about about six or seven days. What would it take for you to give it three months? It, I can't do that. Why? Because any time past seven days when I'm laying in bed and looking up and watching television, where my my chin is is next to my chest, it's very it's itchy. So I got to have that area cleaned out at least once a week. It's my TV watching. And that's position. the reason I'm okay. laying on my back. <laughs> that's the most bizarre reason. And I'm looking <laughs> up, so my, my chin is on my chest, and it gets itchy. So I've got to have that area, and it would be. Funny looking if I just shaved that and left the things on the sides and everywhere else go free.
2: Maybe you're using the wrong kind of pillow. It sounds like you're pushing your head. You're
3: going to hurt your neck. It sounds like you're pushing your head too far. No, because I've got, I've got to look up over the top of my bifocals because I can't look through the bottom of them because that's the close up part. So I got to look through the top of them. So I got to have my head perpendicular to my body. (laughs) But folks, you can go right now to (laughs) manscaped.com And get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRIVE. 20% <laughs> off and free shipping of what you say. <laughs> Everything I was just talking about. Whether you need to trim your nose or your ears or your asshole or your buttocks or the, the stem or stalk of your dick. Or your whatever <laughs> root. hole you have. The root. the root. The root or the stem or the stalk. But not the tip. If you have a hairy tip, by the way, contact Manscaped. They may want to sponsor you immediately. You know, as a matter of fact, that's r- and we will chip in $150 just to see it. What? Anyway, go to manscaped.com. No, we won't. Code word DRIVE, 20% off and free shipping. You wouldn't pay $150 to see a hairy dickhead? No, I'm all right. I could just visualize and think
2: I don't need to see. Thank you. I'll save the $150 and
3: go to Nathan's now you know somebody's gonna send you a picture of shit stain and say here's a hairy dickhead send me my $150 20% off and free shipping with the code drive at manscaped.com that's 20% off and free shipping with the code drive just get your swagger back with manscaped that's what they're saying now on this copy here
2: (laughs) so that's what we're saying get your swagger back with manscaped (laughs) right that's it manscaped.com use the code drive that's it well jim coming out of manscaped and uh, now that i think about it this is a horrible transition but jim, <laughs> uh we wanted to uh wild card as we say here on the show every now and then something that was unexpected but something we thought was worth some time to check it out because a lot of people something were talking you about thought, it. you thought you thought Well, I think that if a lot of people are talking about something, it's worth checking it out before you either dismiss it or praise it or whatever it may be. But this past weekend, Stardom in Japan ran a show, All-Star Grand Queendom. It was, I believe, their biggest show ever. Trying to see if there's a crowd listed. 5,539 people attended in Yokohama.
3: Well, I saw 14 of them on the video. It's a quiet audience, and
2: they usually film these rooms very dark for whatever reason. Not just them, but every uh New Japan does the same thing. But the match that you watched was the IWGP women's champion, Mercedes Monet versus Mayu Iwatani.
3: Yes, yes, it was. Is that uh that was the uh setup? That was the pitch. <laughs> that was the pitch. Oh boy. So, I've seen Uncle Dave report on stardom, and it's supposed to be i guess it is the the biggest ladies' promotion over there in Japan, affiliated with New Japan, correct, owned by the same parent company owned by the same company, yes, so that they got a budget, no doubt about that, no, the reason I said you, I saw fourteen of them. They shot, the hard camera is directly across from the entranceway. There's 5,000 people in that building. You don't see any of them on the hard camera at all. That's right. There's nobody on the other side of the ring. It looks like they're wrestling in a fucking airplane hangar. And that was an odd artistic choice, if nothing else. And I've never seen one of these shows. (laughs) And, And you sent me the link from an unnamed source, and... It was six hours long. And you help helpfully said, well, start at fucking four hours and 50 something minutes or whatever. But as I was, I had to just click ahead about an hour and a half, right? Just see where I landed. And I can tell you, I'm never going to watch an entire one of these shows because I landed somewhere where there were like eight girls in the fucking ring, just staggering around, throwing thing, throwing kicks and chops and, Various things at each other that may or may not have landed. I don't know what the fuck was going on. But I get to the Sasha Monet match. Mercedes Monet. Well, yes. And actually, well, she pronounces it money, if you noticed, when she was talking. Well, I tried to not listen. Oh. Um, this, they have a budget. It's shot very high high tech, as I mentioned. You can't see many of the fans. Um, the commentary was in English uh, some girl and some guy with English accents and the first thing I noticed are those if this was tennis they would be ball boys where when somebody misses they run across the court and get the ball right and then run back to the sidelines they have ball girls like they run around and when the girls do a dive out of the ring the ball girls get in between the wrestlers and the front row and help catch them and make sure they don't land in the front row. Is that what I was seeing? Well, I think they have just the same, the same way
2: Japanese wrestling companies always had young boys. I think it's the same concept. And if they They never caught the fucking guys, well, they were giant. Baba. wasn't diving off the top rope into the crowd. I'm sure if
3: he was, he would have said, "Tenru, catch me. I, I'd never saw anybody catch tiger mask. Well, that's a little different. They stayed out of the fucking way. He was moving very fast. And these ball girls were also uh, kneeling around the ring, clapping on the mat to get the people going during the quiet spots. Isn't that kind of like cheating? Cheating how? Artificial fucking... They're not managers. They're not participants in the match. Did you ever see the young boys during... Fujinami and Kingo Kimura start slapping on the mat to get the people going because they were on their ass. No, I don't remember that. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) So anyway, as far as the match, honestly, they didn't fuck anything up that I saw. I think Sasha went for her finish once that the announcers kept saying, "Whoa!" She didn't get all of it, but I don't really know what it's supposed to look like anyway. But they hit harder. Than the US girls' matches. They definitely are laying the kicks in. It was a modern style match. It just was better than what we see on AEW television and some of the, you know, more middle card dreck of the WWE girls. But it was still a, did I mention a modern style match? They did shit. Countless moves and kicks back and forth over and over. And it started dragging for me because it all looked the same. And then, you know, there was nothing wrong with it if you like women's wrestling amongst, you know, one girl that you might know and one girl that if you're a big fan of Japanese girl wrestling, you've probably seen her. But unless you speak Japanese, you probably don't know too much about her personality so they're doing moves and Sasha gave her a big move and then she popped right up and gave Sasha a big move (laughs) and then old Maya hit a tombstone pile driver on Mercedes I'm sorry but didn't cover her was gonna go climb to the top rope but Mercedes who had just got tombstone grabbed onto the girl's leg and wouldn't get her wouldn't let her go to the top rope But then finally, she did, and she did hit a moonsault and got a two-count. And then she got up. Too many pronouns, pal. Maya got up and did a bridging German suplex, one, two, three. So she basically gave Sasha a tombstone, but Sasha was still alive. So she fucking stomped her or whatever she did, and then hit a moonsault and got a two-count. And then just picked her up and did a bridging German suplex, got a three count. So the finish was kind of flat as four o'clock, but I wasn't going to complain because that was the end of the match and I was looking for that. I mean, it's a modern style match just with the girls hitting harder instead of the girls not hitting at all or the guys hitting like pussies over here. It still didn't make a lot of sense to me besides moves back and forth, but at least they laid it in somewhat. But, I get, you know, there's a market for that over there in Japan. They have a lot of different pursuits, apparently, and lines of work where they put young girls in those spots and then watch the hilarity that ensues. I don't know what else to say.
2: I thought it was a pretty good match. There were spots that I thought they... I don't know how to put it. It was like uh, they expected the move, so they, they were a little too early with what they did or things looked a little sloppy. But the person I really wanted you to see in his promotion was Julia, but I was told by several people who watch, this may not be the best match to show him <laughs> that was on this show because they did some stuff that she wouldn't normally do, but she's really good and really striking looking, and I think she'll probably get signed by one of the companies here eventually. To what you saw here, you see all the hype and all the buzz on social media about Sasha banks, Mercedes, Monet. What do you think after seeing this? Do you understand any of it, or are you puzzled
3: by it? Um uh, I'm not necessarily puzzled because we've figured out that there's a lot of people on Twitter and or social media in general that are very dedicated to a lot of things that you scratch your head and go, oh, boy, why would they like that uh, so that's not puzzling and you know I mean, I don't I don't see her as being the biggest woman's wrestling star in the history of the world I'm not sure that I see that she's you know the biggest wrestling star a female wrestling star you know right now in that company maybe because I mean she's been there what three or four times they were trying to get an American audience, which they apparently have to some extent, but I would think that the girls that the primary audience knows would still be the most popular in that company. Um, I don't, The Meteora thing she does is cool, but she's going to destroy your knees. I, yay. I, you know, I, I don't see anything to write home about. I'm sorry. What else can I say? Not much, but a couple of follow-ups for you after that. And again,
2: when there's a big stardom match, we will check it out and give it a fair chance just to make sure that we're seeing what's going on. But you brought up that the girls in the stardom match were doing the modern style. This is a problem across promotions. Almost every wrestler, same style, same type of things. Let me run past you. Let me throw you this way and then turn this way. Here's my kick. I mean, it's the same kind of stuff
3: you see everywhere. It's video games. How do you break that? I don't know. I don't know. They all play them, and I guess that that's what they all look like, so that's what they think fighting is supposed to be, is a video game. Because, you know, at least when we had athletes and or just tough guys <laughs> getting into the business they knew what a fight was kind of supposed to look like because they'd been in a bunch so they could kind of replicate that and the emotion that you're in while you're in it I don't get the idea that a lot of these guys in the business now ever get mad and I mean really mad not like He hurt my feelings. I'm talking about, I'm going to get that motherfucker. I'm going to squeeze his neck till his britches are fucking full. They go to HR. That's called getting mad. Well, then they, they can't simulate it when they never fucking do it. And so that's it. The matches look like video games and they're trying to recite dramatic monologues instead of getting mad and trash talking somebody. And... That's why it looks like it all takes so long and it all blends together to me.
2: Jim, another follow-up from earlier in the show. Can a manager be too tall?
3: <laughs> um. Well, obviously, it would look somewhat ridiculous if the manager was comically tall and the protege was abnormally short. Uh, many times... You know, there's been a pairing where people would say, oh, geez, you know, the manager makes the guy look small. Gary Hart was about 6'2", 6'3". But at the same time, there was intimation that he had started as a wrestler because he did, but it was so early in his career, and he didn't work anything past the occasional gimmick match after he was in the plane crash. But, I mean, it depends on who the guys are. For example, Bulldog Brower was like a short squat guy. He probably was 5'8", 5'9", but he was 300 pounds. It just depends. But um, a giant... When I used to do the in-ring interviews just as an announcer slash authority figure in Ring of Honor, and I would be interviewing some of the guys, I'd realize, my God, I'm standing next to the Ring of Honor world champion and I'm six inches taller than he is. That sometimes was a visual that i would have liked to have got away from but i was trying to spread my feet out as best i could and i couldn't make the fucking guys grow any taller
2: should there be a height limit on commentators and announcers
3: and again if a guy's really good at what he does then fuck just don't stand him next to somebody or give him a box on pre-tapes or whatever but it is Remember Craig Johnson did global wrestling in Dallas for a while. He was like six foot four. He was good too. I I liked him. Yeah. He he did a good job, but he was, but he was very large. And uh, what was it? Scotty, the body Raven, when he was still Scotty was that he had the line. You're the biggest Johnson I've ever seen. Um, it it is an off-putting visual sometimes, but then again, Mark Lawrence in world-class, he was probably about six, two, as I recall, but, he was very thin and pale and unpredisposing, uh, you know, a figure in person. So he—it's not like he was intimidating in any way. So that kind of works. You just—you just have to kind of see it and stay away from it if you can. Mark Lawrence is pretty
2: fascinating, just because there's a blandness that is so genuine, yes, that other commentators have never had you watch him and he's impersonal and cold in a weird way that
3: no one else as a wrestling ring announcer has ever been ever. Well, and the thing is he wasn't putting that on and he wasn't a bad person either. He's a very nice guy, but he was just, he, as Jim Ross said about Bob Caudill one time, he's the epitome of a white man. He was real reserved. He didn't cuss. He's a preacher. I think of some kind, or a, a minister or whatever. um, It's just very like a white bread, unflappable, nerdish in a good way kind of guy. That was not, uh, I, I don't know how he got involved in the wrestling business, but, but yeah, Mark was, and, and I don't say was, I get he's not dead. But, you know, I haven't worked with him in a while, so I'm talking about memories, was.
2: All right, well this has been Happy Talk part 2. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, with that, Jim, we have some more wrestling to review. There's been a lot of wrestling on TV. Everyone wants to know what you think about the new championship belt. But first, oh boy. Let's talk about Smackdown, which before we recorded, you asked me if I watched and I don't remember.
3: Well, I I don't I don't see why you would remember it. And that's it. Let's talk about what didn't happen on Smackdown and Raw this week because that's It's a WWE uh, heavy program because that's the two things that have happened since we've last spoken to the people. And again, with SmackDown, the first match was Finn Balor and Damian Priest, Judgment Day against Rey Mysterio and Escobar. And I'm thinking, again, don't we, they're reacting, or reacting, they're interacting Every week, in some combination, form or fashion, everybody, for a long time. And in this case, they they basically had a nice match. Nothing wrong with it. Everybody's a professional here. And then Ray hit a 619, and Escobar hit the splash on Balor, but he wasn't the legal man. So they couldn't pin him, so Priest posted Ray and then grabbed... Escobar and choke slammed him one, two, three. And that was that. <laughs> and then Damien priest got the microphone and said, he can't wait to see his friend, good old bugs bunny. Who's coming to raw Monday night. And we were 20 minutes into the program by the time they'd done that. And there again, Zelina and Adam Pierce did some scripted verbiage in the back. She wants the title match in Puerto Rico. because that's her hometown. She's from Queens. Well, it's her home country or home whatever. I got, you know, it's my home. Um, And also, she's too short or something. I don't know what the fuck. Are you saying that or she said that? No, somebody, well, she said, a lot of people think I'm too short. Well, okay. I don't and they did a package on old shaky Nakamura being back, but guess who he's going to have to deal with Brian. I know you're never going to guess this because <laughs> the show put you to sleep before then carrying cross. Oh, really? Did, I forgot about hey, him. Yeah. So did everybody else. Cause he grew his hair back. He ought to be manscaping. Um, he did a scripted promo in the back uh, about shaky blaming scarlet's tarot cards for all the bad things that are happening it's not his fault it's the cards and again it was just prepared words that he spoke she looks great with tarot cards this whole thing is rotten cross looks blah with the hair and blah how many minutes into the show is this as well it's hold on We were 20 minutes into the show after the first match and interview ended. So we're at about the half hour mark now. Uh, We come up with Ricochet and Brown Strongman against the Vikings. Because remember last week, Ricochet and Brown were walking in the back. The camera was on them just walking. And suddenly within 10 seconds, the Vikings jumped in and beat the fuck out of them. So that set this match up. We had the bell for match 2 at 37 minutes into the show. And I swear to God, at one point Brown strongman decks both of the Vikings and goes over and tags Ricochet. He grabbed Ricochet and he's going to do the the deal where he Gives him a beal into the ring over the top rope and throws him onto the Viking who's standing there to catch Ricochet, right? So it's the cool big man, little man move, right? He grabs Ricochet and right as he brings him over the top, the Viking had stood up. But when he stood up, he staggered back a step or two and Ricochet was already in motion. And the Viking tries to run and he's got his arms out to try to catch him. And what Brown Strongman did was just pick ricochet up off the apron, throw him eight feet in the air and about three feet short of the Viking, he landed in a fucking heap. And then the just goes ahead and punches the Viking that's standing there with his arms open, waiting to catch him. And then they went to the break in like two minutes. And when they came back, they wrestled a little while longer and Ricochet and Strongman won. What a surprise. And then the happy, peppy people, Liv and Raquel, smiled their way to the ring. And guess what match went across the top of the 9 o'clock hour on SmackDown? See, I checked back in at this point. I try to start the show and they're running me off. But
2: I'm like, something has to happen. You know, they have multiple hours of programming. Uh Uh-huh. So there are different points. You check back in, 30 minutes, 9 o'clock hour, whatever it may be. So
3: I saw this. Liv and Raquel against Cruella and Chelsea. That is the star power they feel like that is putting their best foot forward for the 9 o'clock hour on a network television program. And then I left the room again. And there you go. And then they had Riddle in the back. Still dressing like a novelty condom and giving mush mouth comments. And then I actually watched a match for the Intercontinental title, Gunther versus Xavier Woods. And again, I, I, the New Day, and he came out with a trombone. People wonder why nobody gives a shit about wrestling anymore because it looks like the wrestlers don't. But it's Gunther, I'm going to watch it. Right, They get started. Again, Woods, great athlete. Nothing wrong with him. Gunther's fantastic. They go two minutes, and the break spot was a chop. Gunther chopped him, and they go to a break. So when they come back, he's getting heat on Woods, and again, Woods sells well. He's got fire. Gunther's aggressive. I love the way he manhandles people. He doesn't just do the the soft laying on of hands that a lot of people do these days. Xavier makes a fighting comeback. Gunther finally took a bump. Xavier hit a dive, went to the top, hit a leg drop, got a two count. They went back and forth. Xavier hit a couple of false finishes and Gunther trapped him in a sleeper and put him out. So at least there was a little bit of wrestling on this program. You didn't see this either, did you?
2: I did see some of this, because I like Gunther. I'm not a fan of The New Day, but it was a good match.
3: But then, they have managed to make the bloodline boring. The Usos did an in-ring promo, where they plugged the six-man at Backlash, and the big rematch for the tag team title is next week on SmackDown, but they were doing some kind of back-and-forth Stick between Jimmy and Jay, and it seems like that they're out there trying too hard to either talk the people into caring about this now or protesting too much that they're going to win the titles but they're trying too hard it was it was they weren't trying before they were doing it. everybody was interested in what they had to say and whether. Sammy was going to finally turn or not, and whether Cody was going to win the title from Roman. And now, the Usos, especially, are not the strongest promos in the group. And when they're out there by themselves, it looks like they're trying too hard to stay over. Does that make any sense? They're trying too hard that I can see that it's almost like they know, ah, shit, we're not getting these people now. We got to yell louder, try harder.
2: WWE at the press conference after WrestleMania have been insistent since then that this was the way they intended to go, that it wasn't Cody winning the belt and more bloodline inner drama coming out of that. It was this, and now we're weeks after WrestleMania, and like, you you put it perfectly. I'm bored with the bloodline. We haven't even seen Roman Reigns in a while. We'll talk later on about what announcement Triple H has made, which Changes the way you perceive Roman Reigns, in a sense. And I've said it before, I'm getting a little tired of Sammy on the mic. There has to be something new to do with everyone here. Well... Or at least a way to propel this in a compelling fashion, because... Yeah. Now it's just like a holding pattern. For weeks, come out there and do the holding pattern
3: segment. Nothing really moves anywhere. And that's... Yeah, the movement is at a glacial pace, if that. And... And then the Usos introduced Solo so he could come out because the... And by the way, we're at the fucking main event. That's been the program. The main event, Solo versus Matt Riddle. No DQ. Lazy booking. And again, it's been so wrestling light on this program and I want to see what's going on in the main event, but Riddle, you know... You know, I think Riddle's issues, I think, all come from him being a difficult birth, Brian. You've heard about that, right? I have not heard about that, no. Yep. After he was born, his mother had to go have her uterus fumigated. So that's going to put stress on the, the kid from the start. Awful. But, so, I don't know. It's no DQ, so they jump started, but Solo took over. But they went a couple minutes, and then Solo pulls out two chairs and two kendo sticks. We got kendo sticks again. And I fast forwarded a little bit. They fought on the floor. They went to the break. They came back, more chairs, kendo sticks. I say this all the time, but every indie match ever suplexes on chairs. It may even sound better than it looked when I'm reading it. And finally, Solo threw Riddle over the desk and they fought on the desk. And Riddle (laughs) turned the desk over on Solo like Solo turned the desk over on Riddle a week or two ago. And then the Usos come out and attack Riddle because Solo's under the desk. But the match still goes on because it's no disqualification. And I know people are, well, they had no DQ matches back in the territory days. They didn't do it like this, where you could just dump one of the guys in a match and two other people could come out and take over for a while. Because that's disgusting heat that puts the heat on the referee into promotion. But now they've trained people, well, this is what can happen. But nevertheless, Riddle foiled both of the Usos and do- dove on both of them. And then Solo came out from under the desk and slammed Riddle on the apron. Riddle ducked the spike and hit a knee, but then Solo hit the spike. One, two, three. And then the heels put a table in the middle of the ring, and the Usos gave Riddle the 1D through the table, which, of course, we've never seen anything like that before. So now they just have to break a fucking table. And the people... This is how far that they've gone with this thing. Every time that there are wrestlers fighting, wrestling, doing whatever it is they're doing, the people are chanting for the furniture. We want tables. It's insane that they've created an environment where the people don't care what's going on with the talent. They just want to see whoever the talent is break some furniture. That's where we're at now. You know what's crazy? At times
2: I've thought they were piping in the We Want tables. I don't know if it was this specific match, but recently I had that thought, so you just saying that triggered me thinking it. I've actually thought maybe they were pumping it in a few times.
3: No, well, I've, I've heard it on both programs, WWE and AEW, and earlier in, in this match, like he did a week or two ago, Riddle goes to pull a table out, and people cheer, and Solo stops him and shoves the table back in to people boo they don't care what any of these guys are doing. They just want to see somebody break furniture because they've been told that that's the point of this whole thing. And so even if you teach, you teach the wrestlers how to wrestle again, you're going to have to teach the fans what they're looking at again. And it used to, in the old days, it was easy to find wrestlers that knew how to wrestle it was hard to educate your audience to the style and the things you wanted them to know. And once you did that, then the fans that you had educated to what you wanted them to accept as wrestling, because that was what you could present uh, uh, the best style that you could present of wrestling. That's what you wanted your fans to think wrestling was. Uh, Now, once you, in the old days, once you educated them, they made their own school of wrestling because every time that new fans came into the arena and heard how the old fans reacted and what they reacted to and who they reacted to, etc., they would do the same thing. And the old fans would teach the new fans the rules. It's illegal to come off the top rope or throw somebody over the top rope or the pile driver's band or it's automatic disqualification, whatever the case. And the announcers on the television program would always be backing that up. So the fans knew what was going on. Now they have educated the fans that it doesn't matter what happens in the fucking ring as long as somebody breaks some furniture.
2: Well, that was SmackDown. It sure was. They've made it all completely boring. All the enthusiasm I had after WrestleMania, or at least after night one, but around that period of time going into Mania, it's all gone now. It's a slog to get through these shows again.
3: And SmackDown's only two
2: hours. Let me ask you another question about something that happened over this past weekend. William Regal took to Twitter, I'm not sure what prompted this, and had several comments about his departure from AEW. Now, this has been a hot-button issue amongst wrestling fans, specifically AEW fans, because the booking got so weird. The departure of William Regal from AEW and the return
3: to WWE. Have you been following this? Well, I saw that he was on Twitter and he's trying to clear his name because of uh, apparently now he doesn't get on Twitter much. Imagine that. Boy, we could all hope to aspire to that lifestyle one of these days. He doesn't get on Twitter much. It's the perfect place to go to solve your problems. Good idea, William Regal. Well, but he didn't get on Twitter much, but he got on Twitter the other day. And apparently the AEW fans Because remember, we reported on what was going on with the comments that Tony Khan had made. And apparently the AEW fans are still pissed at poor old William Regal for bailing out of that lunatic asylum in whatever fashion he did. And they're blistering him for doing so and taking advantage of Tony Khan's good nature. So he went on Twitter to try to clear his name of any wrongdoing and taking advantage of tony
2: well that you kind of just hit on one of the big things because i'm trying to think of the timeline now word came out that william regal i think we may have been one of the first shows to say it but william regal was going back to wwe and then it became such a big issue that tony Khan was asked about it i think maybe a ring of honor press call or something and that's when we found out about tony's mother being ill because tony decided to tell us that story
3: yes In conjunction with William Regal's departure story. And remember, it was one of those deals where Tony took 45 minutes to fucking say hello. He went around his elbow to get to his wrist, went back and forth, sub-referenced numerous things, and finally came out with that story, and we were remarking on that, but apparently... Because of the story that Tony Khan told of how this all happened, (laughs) that now poor William Regal is having to defend himself from the AEW faithful who are accusing him of taking advantage of Tony in a moment of crisis, which we joked about. But the point is, apparently, these fans are not happy that William Regal managed to escape the zoo without letting any of the chimps fling feces upon him he was able to get there see that the it wasn't all sunshine lollipops rainbows and waterfalls with what was going on and extricate himself from the situation shortly after the Triple H took back over and he thought that Mr. McMahon was gone I assume like we all did for good well, what a lot of
2: AEW fans, I think, are jumping on is the idea that he said he wanted to leave, or
3: at least Tony, I think Tony's the one who said Tony that. said all this. Yeah. He didn't say anything. Yeah, well, Tony said will that. You, William will you... Regal never said anything. <laughs> Tony Khan spilled his guts <laughs> in that press conference and told all about his mother's health and Regal's reasons that he gave him for wanting to go and spend more time with his son, and it was a family thing, and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what that's I was going to say. That's the whole story that Tony has said on behalf of william regal
2: and there are fans pointing to the fact that regal is not right now with nxt not working with his son he's doing things with wwe but not there as being what the hell did you really tell tony what was your real intentions but again i have these tweets well
3: now we do not well and i'm gonna let you read them in a second but we do not know that they're letting william regal do whatever the fuck that he wanted to do originally in WWE slash NXT now because now Vince is back and he's the one that fired Regal the last time so maybe Regal didn't get to go to NXT where he wanted to go they sent him somewhere else because Vince was like oh, I don't want to whatever but anyway read what what Mr. Regal his lordship tweeted maybe he could tell Vince that he wants to go
2: back to AEW wants to be close to his daughters and he can go back to the Blackpool Combat Club but here are the tweets here <laughs> Again, I don't know exactly what prompted this, but this was from the 22nd, which was Saturday. Just so anyone who wants to know the truth, I know Tony summed up a few conversations we had with quick answer. FYI, Tony called me at 9pm on a Sunday night, and I discussed my reasons for leaving, where time spent, where I want to be. Let me stop right here. I'm reading it as he wrote it. I think later on he apologizes for some spelling issues. He certainly should. Then, and I only then, did he tell me where he was and what problems he was having. I told him to get off the phone and take care of his family. He shouldn't be talking to me. I also realize he has summed up conversations with brief answers. I wouldn't call those answers brief. We eventually talked about me leaving two weeks later in Jacksonville. Time and time spent were the reasons for my leaving. (laughs) It's like prison time spent. I thought it was time served. (laughs) Time and time spent was the reasons for my leaving. Did he get time off for good behavior? No agenda for anything else. I have lived through some serious times in 2018 and 19, and I realize this is all I have. Let me go to the next tweet. I had a great time in AEW and are thankful for the time I spent there with many of my close friends. <laughs> oh, I should be laughing. I'm sorry. Well, and, what's funny about that? Well, just, and are thankful. Got me. I'm sorry. It took me a second. I had a great time in AEW and are thankful for the time I spent there with many of my close friends. <laughs> and Yuta. And Many of my close friends and the amazing crew. I just want to make that public so people stop misinterpreting it. It's sad that people in our job can't realize that you can be a decent human being without having an agenda or taking advantage. This is the last time I will mention this. Again, I would like to thank AEW for their gracious acceptance of me and for Tony to take me on board. And just so you know, there's a few spelling mistakes in my last tweets, but I spent too much time at school daydreaming of being a pro wrestler. AEW, we are very kind to me. (laughs) And I enjoyed my time there. I made the most of my time there, and never, this in caps, never double-crossed anyone. Well, there you go, AEW fans. So lay off his lordship. What is causing this? Now, I mean, he's answering all the things we all talked about months ago. I
3: mean, is it six months ago? No, I honestly believe, well, I don't know if it's been six, maybe four, but I think he probably just got on Twitter and saw a bunch of people say, how dare you do that to Tony? We love Tony. How dare you do that? You left us. He's like, what the fuck? So,
2: there you have... See, the problem is, even if you want to believe him, even if you want to believe him, it's still like, here's half the story, and now I won't say anything else no matter what. Okay, if we're to believe you didn't take advantage of Tony, if we're to believe that your real intention was, I want to be close with my son, I want to go back to WWE to do that, then talk about when you came to that conclusion. And all this Moxley drama that we now find out about, was he in the middle of it? That's the other thing I want to know. And well, I demand I answers.
3: And I demand answers. God damn it. <laughs> I think Regal is... is His feelings are hurt that people think ill of him over that. And, and the reason why people think ill of him is because of what Tony Khan said as he stood out there with diarrhea of the mouth and constipation of the brain for about 45 minutes talking about it. Saying all the things that we made fun of. And then... Giving Regal like a it's like a choose your own adventure book where they gave him three different send-offs and pick the one that applies to you. What? So Tony again botched a situation that he was in over his head about. Do you think to make it up to William Regal they should give him
2: another send-off?
3: I don't know. I think they'll just say, why don't we have a fan voting on which one was the best one? And we'll just erase the tape of the other two.
2: If William Regal goes back there and then finds out after the fact that not only is Vince still completely in charge, but he's never been more in charge before in his life, do you think Tony would take William
3: Regal back? Only if his son comes with him. Ah, interesting point. The whole family, I think, I ought to make a package deal. Well, Jim, speaking
2: of package deals, we're going to get to Raw, but I want to talk about one specific segment from Raw first, if you don't mind. Not to take a complete review out of context, but... It's been a package deal for a while that the two world championships WWE had merged together. The undisputed Universal Champion, which has been Roman Reigns for a considerable period of time now. Last night on Raw, as we are recording, Triple H with the big announcement a new belt. The undisputed championship will now be disputed. (laughs) They're getting rid of the undisputed part of it, it'll be disputed again. They are introducing another world championship. It will once again be one champion on one show. Before we get to anything else, thoughts
3: on the overall concept here. Oh my god. I'm afraid this is another example of Vince being back because they did this when Vince was in charge before and they'd gotten away from it. I thought even Vince, before he left, knew the value of having one champion. But now they're doing it again. And a, a Triple H came out, and he actually tried. Even if they were going to do this, is this the best reasoning, the best explanation that they could come up with? He tried to explain to the people why splitting the title, having another championship on another program is good for the WWE and the fans. But the the story that they came up with to back that up or to make people believe that is that, that, Roman has negotiated himself into not having to defend the title very often and WWE and its fans deserve more. So when Roman Reigns gets drafted, he's going to take the universal title with him to whatever show he goes to, even though every fucking body lately is on both shows and, uh, and the other brand that Roman doesn't go to will determine a new champion on May 27th, the night of champions. And that will be called the world heavyweight champion. And this guy will defend anywhere, any place, anytime, except on the other show, except apparently on the other show. How does this make sense? The best guy won't wrestle very often. So we're going to make another guy, another champion. Muhammad Ali when he was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world, he didn't fight as often as Joe Lewis did. So wait, they're going to say, okay, well, Ali's the best and nobody's beaten him. But since he doesn't want to fight very often, we're going to have a tournament and we're going to make another guy, the co-champion, and he'll fight all the time because he needs money, but he's never beat Ali. And Anytime that Ali loses, that person in the eyes of the fans will be considered the real world champion, but this other guy will have a nice, shiny belt, too. Would that work? What about the the Super Bowl? Who won the Super Bowl this year, Brian?
2: By the way, that is what hurt boxing, was the introduction of multiple world championships, but uh,
3: the Super Bowl this year was one. Who won the Super Bowl this year? Okay, I'll ask you. Who won the World Series last year? Let's not talk about that. Oh, well, but just tell me who did it. Last year, the World Series yes. was... uh, who, Fuck, who won the World Series last like, year? Oh,
2: God damn. I can't remember anything right now. Fuck.
3: Well, see, I don't care enough to know about any of these things, but let's say that the fucking team that the won... The Houston Astros. Fine. The team that won the World Series, the Houston Astros, well, they can't play all the games that we want them to play, so we're going to have all the other teams play each other and the winner of that gets to be the co super fucking world series champions how does that work how does this makes that's what happened to Joey Chestnut fucking said there you go yeah I can believe an interim champion I can buy that that's done in sports even though Tony does it too much I can (laughs) I can you know buy a a interim (laughs) champion that that will sooner or later be reunited with the main championship. But no, this is just for no reason, and the reason that they gave does not hold up to any logic or common sense in terms of the fans' enjoyment. It doesn't make any sense. If he had just said, and I almost thought they were going to do
2: this for a second because I thought if they do what they ended up doing, it'll be so counterproductive. They have to see that. I forgot who was in charge. If they had just said... We see all these problems. Starting right now, Roman Reigns has to defend the championship every 30 days. Yeah. And it'll be on free TV or it'll be on cable TV on one of these shows. Fox is on free TV. It'll be on a show. You'll see it. And here's the new belt he's going to have. That would have worked. Now, I mean, we'll talk about what this could be, but this doesn't help anyone. And if
3: anything, this... Muddy's is an issue that they kind of it, finally fixed. Well, yes. And and negates a lot of the work that they've done. The reason why everybody wanted to see Roman beaten was because he hasn't been and he's the guy. And that's why I keep saying in the 80s, if somebody'd pitched to Vince, well, Hogan can have one world title belt and we'll have another world title belt because we're running two shows every night, Vince would have fucking thrown him out the window. Nobody was gonna have. The, any conflicting belt besides the one that Hogan held intercontinental title. Sure. Everybody know, okay, that's like the U S title of the world title, but not a co world title. It doesn't work. It's never worked and it diminished. Now the fans are supposed to be mad at Roman Reigns because he's a heel and does dirty things and takes advantage and cheats their, their favorite wrestlers. They're not supposed to be mad at him because he's a prima donna that doesn't want to come to work and, and and being called a part-timer on their own program. The internet may do that, but on the program that's reaching all the fans, even the casual ones. They don't need to think that that now if and when Roman ever does lose, it still won't mean as much as it would have because there's another fucking champion on the other show running around unless are we going to have champion versus champion winner take all well then that just puts us back where we already were to begin with and you would have to build that for a couple of years for it to make it mean anything so this it just for a variety of reasons this is ridiculous and it wasn't explained in a way that any of the fans would they everybody in the arena popped when he pulled the new belt out of the bag but uh, people like popping for things that doesn't mean it's the right idea yeah that but well, they just want to see the new shiny piece of jewelry quite literally yeah but uh, i'm i'm flabbergasted that they've worked this hard to finally establish one guy as the champion of the company and it's obviously worked And now, for no reason, and without even any involvement from Roman Reigns, another guy's going to have another belt. Fucking hell.
2: Let's talk about what this new championship, new belt decision means. For whoever wins that other championship, let's talk about someone who probably shouldn't win it, but a lot of people have pointed to this, Cody Rhodes. If the story is Cody chasing the championship that his father never got... What do you do now?
3: Well, if you put this belt on Cody, then the fans will consider, well, they made a belt up to give it to Cody. I mean, I can't even think of how that that would be the worst thing you could do to Cody Rhodes. They were ready to see him win the big one, win the title that they took away from his daddy in the garden slay the dragon that they had built in Roman reigns and oh, he didn't. So even if they think that the idea is then, Oh my gosh, Cody will have this belt and he'll establish himself for a year and then we'll have another match or whatever the f- fuck that it will make it look like they gave Cody a belt because he couldn't win the real one. And that's just ridiculous logic. Do you think, and
2: again, there's only so much we know about this right now, just happened, we haven't really talked to anyone, but do you think this is just, we don't want to take the belt off Roman for whatever reason, we want to break a record of what day he loses the belt, or whatever it may be, we don't want to take the belt off him, but we also know we have him less and less?
3: Make up your mind, then! If you got him less and less and that bothers you, take the belt off of him and be done with it. But don't kill the fucking, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Don't kill the champion that's over and his title for the sake of trying to make a new one. I mean, it's one thing doing this
2: when the championship is weak, when you have a champion who's not doing something, not justifying doing it then, but at least then it's kind of like you're floundering. You have to try something. This is working right now. It, Roman Reigns is the
3: champion and it's working. It worked up until about two weeks ago. I don't know. It might be on borrowed time now, but yes. And they have, they have spent a long time to get here to this point. And that again, that this harms all major championship reigns. They're going to do from now on because again, what the fuck it. it if a guy can be champion for 3 years without being defeated or whatever the fuck but then somebody they just make another title belt up and say okay somebody else can be another champion then it doesn't make any sense and I don't know I don't know why they think that they have to have the world champion specifically on TV every week They need star power. They need entertainment value. They need something happening on this program. But it doesn't have to be the world champion. It was better when you didn't see the world champion wrestle except on pay-per-view, and you only saw him come out and talk every so often. Then that creates more demand for that guy. And that uh, doesn't wear out your world champion. Let everybody else fight amongst themselves to see who gets to that point. That's fine. So, if they make up a new one, and he's defending, as they said, fighting any time, any place, anywhere, then he's just going to be one of the fucking guys, and Roman Reigns is still going to be special, because he has the real title that nobody's ever beat him for, but in the process of hap- having all this happen, he's going to be diminished somewhat, because they're knocking him, calling him a part-timer, And fucking calling it, uh, calling attention to the fact that even though he has been champion for almost a thousand days, he's defended it 20% of the amount of times that most previous champions have. So it's a lose-lose. It's brilliant.
2: Do you think maybe that's a component of wrestling going forward, looking at MJF and AEW and Roman Reigns and WWE world champions? as opposed to not coming to the town so often, just not appearing on TV as often. I shouldn't say that. MJF appears on TV every week. He doesn't wrestle as often.
3: Well, sometimes, you know, it might not be that he needs to be on every, although, again, they're so short of talent. At least you got a guaranteed segment. But, you know, the world champion can be talked about. The world champion can be featured in video packages. The world champion can be involved in a variety of things. And be the the center of attention without even being on the program, by virtue of the fact that everybody wants him and he's the guy. So, but if they just have some, whoever's going to win this thing, hopefully it ain't Cody. Just then defend it on TV every week or every every pay per view or whatever the fuck it's it's another belt they can defend, but. Even this blase fan base that's been told not to care about anything too much or believe in anything or take anything seriously, even they've got to be rolling their eyes at this, don't they? I don't even mean the smart fans on the internet. I mean just the average pro, oh, they got another world champion? And who are you supposed to put it on, like you said? like I think it would hurt someone like Austin Theory
2: or Braun Breaker if you brought him up and did something like that. It would hurt these young guys to have a new championship with no credibility yeah cody's the wrong pick and we've discussed the reasons right
3: brock i'm sure brock don't want it and he's part-time anyway yeah he's working the roman reign he invented the roman reign schedule yeah is this the seth rollins memorial belt god
2: no god no please no unless it well, he he'll be on tv less but he won't be. No,
3: he'll be on tv more so no no can't do that so okay there you go so it can't be a young guy because it's a brand new belt you need an established name to make it legitimate, much as we talked about earlier when Vince wanted Brett to work with Steve Austin and make him look competitive. You need to have a star that makes the belt. Brock Lesnar ain't going to take it. He ain't going to work a regular schedule. It'd be the worst thing in the world to give it to Cody unless they intended to, as I said, unify the thing down the road. And even then, that'd be stupid because they're already there. Um, What do you think of Damian Priest? Well, No. Because then that would that would just make it look like they gave a belt to a guy on the card because it, I like Priest, I'm a fan of his, and he's coming along, but he's never been a, viewed as a single world champion and suddenly to do that, that would be like a theory or another young guy. If a Randy Orton was ready to come back, how about that? <sighs> that might, that, might work i mean it's still not a good idea but randy orton is a guy who could certainly he has the name value the recognition the star power and he could work with anybody so he could make something out of it but uh, i don't know after that again who who i say owens and are tag team champions oh and the other question is
2: If Roman Reigns is still going to hold on to the belt for the foreseeable future, at least through SummerSlam, let's say, but maybe beyond that, does that mean this title is going to change hands more often? Or are you going to also have another champion who, like Gunther with the Intercontinental Belt, to establish the championship is going to hold the belt for a while?
3: Well, you would also think that if this belt is being defended two or three or four times as often that it would probably change hands more quickly. Which, once again, would be a problem with establishing something as being a really important thing if it's just a hot potato that everybody can have. But then if they end up with a long-term champion, like you said, well, then they're in the same fucking position. Yeah. (sighs) Mm.
2: Almost like an irrational old man made this decision. Almost. Well, Jim, perhaps you're someone who works for an irrational old man. Perhaps you're someone who's told, get out of this building by someone working for an irrational old man. Maybe you just need the sue.
3: Well, in that case, I know exactly the person of which you can pick up a telephone, punch in the numbers, and get a response at the other end, and it will belong to this man. Steven
2: P. News.
0: If you need to see.
2: P-news.
0: An
3: outlaw much show or two. Those are the rest. And you know, let me just ask you this, Brian. You've heard that it's a very a very charitable thing, a very Christian-like thing to take care of the least of us, the least amongst us, the poor people, the people with no breaks in life, the people that are deprived, the people that may not have their health. You know, health is everything. Hella, you got to have your health. They may not have their health. They may not have the resources. Stephen P. New sticks up for the little guy. And we want to talk right now to the folks out there listening to us in wherever they may be in their local penal system, whether it be a penitentiary, a jail, a prison, a detention center, or just merely a law enforcement facility. AEW? AEW, someplace like that, where people are detained against their will, locked up and can't leave and be free to pursue a life of religious freedom. Not everybody gets time spent like William Regal. That's right. But Stephen P. New can help you out because he takes care of the little people, including, as I mentioned, all you people I'm speaking to in jails, prisons, and facilities like that. Stephen P. New is taking the entire state of West Virginia to task on the overcrowded, understaffed, terribly horrible conditions, jails in West Virginia. He's also taken up for the opioid-addicted babies. He's also taken up for the wrongfully terminated. If your life or job has been terminated wrongfully, you need to call Stephen P. New at 888-692-8084, newlawoffice.com. Brian, when's the last time that your life was terminated uh, early? Like three hours ago. Well, that's uh, that's good. You fight back. You have to fight back. That's because you were having to watch Raw. That's your right. life was terminated three weeks, three hours ago. Because I was watching Raw. Yes. So anyway, if and if you want to sue, because you had to spend three years of your life, mean I'm three hours of your life. Three years or three hours. I felt like three
2: years. It felt like
3: three of, years. of your life watching RAW. That's Stephen P. New too. Once again, eight 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 six nine two eight zero eight four 692 8084 Newlawoffice.com. Do you think we have a large uh, incarcerated audience, people are listening to us out there. Can you get YouTube and podcasts in jail? Funny enough, we do hear from
2: a lot of our incarcerated listeners, and uh, we... Wait a minute, you may... You I, I don't remember that I've heard from an incarcerated listener. Well, I tell them. I say, Jim doesn't want to hear from you. I'm your friend. What are you What are you doing pissing off goddamn violent criminals? I'm not for? pissing them off. They like me.
3: You're getting them pissed off at me?
2: What Plus, happens if happens. Have
3: a, if you have a friend that has gotten a violent criminal pissed off at you for no reason call Stephen P. New 888-692-8084 we got a bunch of people in fucking jail listening to us for heaven's sake we've got to we've got to maintain that audience it's not their fault they got caught you know how they watch WWE pay-per-views on the jailhouse cock <laughs>
2: okay. Jim, it is time that Brian, that dark, dark time each and every week where we have to discuss three hours of well-lit whatever's going on that is called Monday Night Raw or WWE Raw. I don't even know what the exact name is anymore. They've destroyed my enthusiasm. I watched this show. And when you <laughs> asked me when you asked me the next morning if I watched the show, I told you I didn't. Because I couldn't remember anything important that had happened, and when I went and rewatched the show this morning, I realized I had seen the whole thing,
3: and had forgotten. That's Because it wasn't that memorable. As we said earlier in the show about SmackDown, let's talk about what didn't happen on Raw. This was Raw for April twenty fourth, I guess, right? April twenty fourth, nineteen seventy seven was Jerry Jarrett's first a live card in the Mid-South Coliseum when he broke off from Goulas and established his own company. It was the first time I saw wrestling in Memphis, the double main event, Southern heavyweight title, Jerry Lawler versus Jack Briscoe and NWA world heavyweight title, Harley race versus Rocky Johnson. How excited were you? How excited were you? And what were you most excited to see before it? Um, well, I was over the moon because I'd seen Memphis on television, the Coliseum for, uh, several years at that point, but had never actually been there. And then also, this was the big show. Uh, Teeny got us four front row tickets for me and my mom and um the, these two uh, friends of ours that drove down with us because it was a long as six hours down there. The show six hours back. We had because we had to get back for Louisville the next day. I was shooting pictures there too. But Dusty was on the cards. First time I saw Dusty live. Um. As well, uh, Hickerson and Condrey worked with uh, Dusty and Tommy Rich for the Southern Tag Team title. And then they had people from Ron and Robert Fuller were in from Knoxville. And, you know, it it was a big show all around. But I've still got, uh, you know, the pictures I took that night. I, I was torn because... I wanted to like Lawler and Briscoe the best, but Harley was so fucking good, and it was the best Rocky Johnson match I'd ever seen, probably before or since, because it was for the world title, so everybody had their boots on. But but what an event! And then 40... And then Harley got a perm. Well, but you can't hold that against him. It was the style. Uh, but uh, 47 years later, 46 years later, we got three hours of conversation well-lit conversation that's what we ought to call it on monday night raw in chicago
2: um,
3: of all places of all this places. was the uh this was not the united center right this is the all-state arena which used to be the rosemont horizon which was the wrestling building in chicago for many many years as joe franklin would say
2: one of my favorite arena names
3: um, what, the Allstate Arena? The Rosemont Horizon. Oh, okay, okay. What a cool name. Well, it's because it's in Rosemont. It's not actually in Chicago.
2: But it's not the it's Rosemont, Rosemont Arena. Please. It's the Rosemont Horizon.
3: Well, that's because across the horizon you can see the pollution from downtown Chicago. Anyway, the Raw started out with uh our friend Cody Rhodes doing the in ring promo. The big interest people love him. They're still chanting, they're still clapping. And he did a promo about Brock Lesnar, of course, put Brock over. But then, again, he does shit differently than everybody else has been scripted to or has decided to do on their own. You can see more of the creativity, right, that he puts into this shit. I mean... It was an odd choice for them to have him show still frames on the big screen of Brock beating him up instead of some video. And why didn't he talk over it? It was just still, let's go to this. And then it's just pictures. Well, I I have a feeling somebody may have delayed the information incorrectly. Because I think he might have thought he's going to get some fucking video also. But that was odd. But then... He does it different. He starts taking off his tie and tosses it into the crowd and takes off his shirt and tosses it. He's getting pops for this. And he showed the crowd and the camera the scar from his surgery and, you know, mentioned that the Hell in a Cell match that he fought through that injury with was in this same arena. And then he tells Brock, pick a spot and put another scar on me. That's fucking dusty. What a great line! And then he thanks the fans. He told them that they carried him to the finish line in the Hell in a Cell match, and he couldn't have done it without them. And he thanked them. What a fucking baby face! At this point, I'm, I'm. I actually wrote, "What a fucking baby face!" And then Finn Balor music interrupts, and I'm ah. But at least we get to see a a competent wrestling match later on, but. Finn comes out and people kind of at him on the way to the ring or whatever, but Cody, Hey Cody, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah. And, but, uh, he tries to get Cody to join the judgment day for have somebody have his back. And Cody obviously does not do that. And respectfully declines the offer. And he brought the fans into making the decision. I mean, was just perfect on his part. And then he declined, but offered Finn his hand, and Finn wouldn't shake. He says, you're with us or against us. So Cody says, well, you may be under the assumption I'm not medically cleared, but actually I'm medically cleared, so how about you and me fight tonight? And Finn gulped and left. (laughs) Were we told that he wasn't medically cleared? Uh, Well... (sighs) I think it was mentioned last on another program last week, either SmackDown or whatever the fuck, that obviously he's been beaten up and banged up, but it wasn't, it's not like he's been out for months. He just got beat up, what, last week or two weeks ago, whatever the case. But they made a match. That was the reason for making the match. Well, since you came out here and offered me a spot in your group, how about we just fight tonight? But like I said, at least it's a match between two professionals. But I'd prefer Finn to be seen and not heard more. Well, your thoughts on the verbal execution of the elocution? It was the best of Cody and also
2: classic Cody, in that at times it just went all over the place and you're waiting for it to get somewhere. (laughs) But every Cody promo, I mean, last week he had the line about growing up around Cowboys. This week had the line that you quoted before. He's got at least one memorable line where he looks really serious and you believe him every single week. That's
3: hard times, baby. Do you get a gold watch anymore? All right. Anyway, speaking of hard times, the time started getting harder from here to watch this program. The next segment or the next thing, six man tag, the Usos and Solo versus Escobar and the new, LWO gimmick from 25 years ago that they have appropriated for the current. I guess it should be the Loser World Order though, shouldn't it? Since they haven't won a match since I don't remember when they won a match. Escobar, yes, but not his stooges. But again, it's the the bloodline. You know, at least they've mixed this up, but we're always seeing the bloodline wrestle. the, You know, what not the the Usos and Solo. We've seen them on every program, and we're seeing Escobar and his gang on every program. They've just mixed this up a little bit, and instead of the LWO against fucking uh, the Judgment Day and the Bloodline, and they've just switched places. You see what I'm where I'm going with this? It doesn't matter anyway because they went a minute and went to the break and when they come back they go under three minutes and the heels win the Usos and Solo obviously and they cut a 30 second promo where they're very upset about losing the belts and their rematch this Friday they're dedicating the win to Roman Reigns so now they put his name on it uh, Again, I said the Usos are protesting a little hard verbally these days. Um, Anything you care to comment on, just jump in. I'm running through no, the I mean, running order.
2: You've kind of hit on the main thing. You see the same people every single week that even if they're in a match you've never seen before, it feels like you've seen it every single week. I don't think I've ever seen the Usos wrestle the LWO. But I'm so sick of the LWO <laughs> who just all of a sudden appeared and became the LWO. And the Usos who have, who just have to do something. And I guess, you know, this Friday on SmackDown is the big match. Something has to happen there. But it's taken forever to get from A to B right now.
3: I'm not sure that they didn't skip B and they just went on to C or D or something like that because it was more convenient. Anyway, um, did you notice when Bianca was backstage and smiling and cutting her promo with the uh, lady interviewer, when Bailey and Kai and Skye walk in to have their scripted interaction, the interviewer just disappeared. She was holding a microphone for Bianca. And then suddenly when these other girls walk in, the, the camera pans over to them and the interviewer is gone and never seen again, took the microphone with her, but you can still hear Bianca. I don't... And then... Jay and Sammy were in the back. Raw is conversation, after all. Jay and Sammy were in the back. Jay Uso and Sammy Zane talking openly with the camera five feet away from them like they were having a quiet moment together. And Sammy is saying, hey, you guys dedicated this win to Roman. Well, we're not going to lose these belts. So, And you put his name on it. That's not going to be good for you. And what's going to happen? You don't deserve what's going to happen. And again, is the story getting a little busy and bogged down in sidetracking now? It was clearly Sammy's the Sammy's our guy. We wish he'd turn on the bloodline. Sammy turns on the bloodline. Sammy and fucking Kevin win the tag belts. Cody would win the world title, and everything would be wrapped up. And now we're we're getting confusing and or boring. Too many of these segments where
2: Sammy's talking to people he's not supposed to talk to backstage in front of the camera. The first time it happened, it worked. Second time, it's like, okay, this works again. But now they're doing it like all the time. Twice on this episode. But how many times have we seen the Usos or Heyman have like conversations with Sammy behind the scenes? It's getting to be too much.
3: I hope nobody tells. The other people that aren't in these meetings that are televised, what's going on? Uh, Trish was in the back talking to people. And then they had a match, and I thought, well, it's Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. I would watch this versus the Street Sweepers, except the uh, Street Sweepers got the big entrance. They went to a break. They came back. Shelton and Cedric were in the ring, which is death and doom. And Vince was always big on entrances. Now, he wasn't big on entrances that took 15 fucking minutes like they have now. That's changed. But if you didn't get an entrance, Vince, that was his way of saying you're completely dispensable. And then Ford beat Cedric in two minutes. So thanks for coming, guys. Six minutes of matches in the first hour. When you say two minutes, you
2: mean two minutes of actual wrestling or two minutes that we saw in between commercial breaks?
3: No, I mean two minutes. They came back from the break, they rang the bell, and two minutes later the match was over and Ford had won. All right. So anyway, uh, then it was the 9 o'clock hour and time for Triple H to muddy the championship picture as we described earlier in the program. If you didn't hear it, well, rewind. And then Judgment Day was in the back, talking, Damien Priest, obviously happy that his good friend Bugs Bunny is going to be there tonight on the program that they've been talking. He's going to be here. He's going to be here. And then another Bronson. Did you watch this Bronson Reed package, Brian? I
2: don't know, actually. This is the same thing that happened last week. I may have... I remember watching him in the match later on, but I don't remember the package.
3: Okay, when you're trying to zip through the commercials andor all the backstage bullshit, they slip one of these in on you every now and then, where it's some highlights of him for about 30 or 45 seconds. And the highlights make him look fantastic, but he's doing the promo in interspersed with the promo and the voiceover clips. And the material last week he his mother called him Mr. Nice Guy. And the promo and the voiceover that he's doing for these spots, as I said, the highlights make him look like a world beater. And the material and his delivery counteract all of that. He's soft spoken and he's erudite. Mr. Nice Guy. But he's erudite. He didn't do Mr. Nice Guy this this time, but he's he's not as sing song as Keith Lee. And he doesn't use ridiculous big words, but it's obviously scripted material with a, a, I I don't know what the fuck. And he's wearing a suit. This fucking guy, they need to grow his fucking shaggy hair out. They need to see if he can grow his goddamn underarm hair long. Name a goddamn monster. He's a human wrecking ball. He's the most polite, well-dressed fucking 400-pound beast on the planet. Anyway, then Solo and the Usos were in the back in their locker room having a heart-to-heart talk with each other with a camera in front of them. and Jay is not listening. He's preoccupied. They talked to him a couple of times. He didn't hear, what, what, what'd you say? What's wrong, Jay? Well, what if we don't win the belts on Friday? Now he's showing doubt, and Jimmy gets mad that Jay's been talking to Sammy. Don't be talking to him. But what if we don't win? What if Roman Reigns was there? I don't think they would be doing that in front of him. So they're doing it on television. But anyway, as you mentioned, it's just asking a lot of questions. I know questions. Ask questions. The fans will have questions in their mind, they'll want to know the answers, but not when they're completely confused about, you know what, this is degenerating into grade school. Speaking of grade school, almost everybody in the next match was the size of a grade schooler. Bianca and Liv and Raquel against Bailey and Kai and Sky and we were an hour and 15 minutes into the program with six minutes of wrestling, and we got this. But don't worry. They went two minutes and went to the break. (laughs) And when they came back, they went another three minutes, and the baby faces won. So each girl and the sixth girl got 45 seconds, I believe, to... um, Austin Theory, in the ring for a promo, plugging the... Triple threat match for the U.S. title between him and Lashley and Bronson Reed that we're gonna have to put up with. Another three-way. And theory he he's talking well. He's looks like he's got more confidence. When the people got on him a little bit, you get to he ad-libbed and buried him back and didn't lose his place. Um with Theory's promo, and he he looked at the new belt that Triple H had unveiled and said he should be the new world heavyweight champion. And I wrote at that point, I said, I've been talked to death, but Theory's doing a good job, and he has heat from the people. He's having a little bit more fun, more relaxed out there. And then Lashley's music, and he interrupts. And uh, this was... The opposite of that Cena
2: promo on Raw. Y- y- yes. That <laughs> just tearing them down for no good reason. This was just completely building
3: them up. This was and it, that's what I was going to say is Bobby was better here than he has been when he's had some of these promos where he's it looked like he was confused to deliver them, or he could tell that it was falling flat, or when they teased the Bray Wyatt thing, or whatever the fuck was going on. But here, yes, he did. He he told Theory, that's my belt you're holding. But then he, he put him over. But he said that Theory was running away from everything, but you're young, you're hungry, and you're tough. You got all that, so why are you running away? Are you lazy or are you scared? And that was at least something to make the guy a heel, but a competent heel rather than a complete dipshit, right? But what's he running away from? But, well, he rolls out of of the ring quite a bit. Uh, But then Lashley said he's the one that asked for the triple threat because he wants to fight and blah, blah, blah. It took a while and nobody seemed to be really mad. They're just doing the the verbiage back and forth. And then finally, uh Theory says, you know, he he starts to back off. Okay, okay, and then he goes for the sucker punch, but Bobby ducks it and tackles him, and they have the fight on the floor, or whatever. And then Reed comes in and joins Theory in beating up Lashley, and then after Theory gives Lashley his finish, then Reed gloms him and gives him the splash off the top rope. So they're setting up the three-way. Splash look good. The, the splash always looks good. I wouldn't want to be the one laying underneath it. But again, I don't... It's better than it has been with Bobby. We like Theory, and Reed is a beast in the ring. But I don't know what to, why they've got him talking like a goddamn accountant. Anyway. Did you see the segment with Booger, Ezekiel, and Shoosh Boy, segwaying into comedy with Fat Otis, the model girl, and model man?
2: Otis, and yet model girl may be out of everyone on this show. She may be the very, how do I put it, the most performy, the most completely ridiculously the
3: worst, fake, the worst, <laughs> the worst actor yes. or actress. There you go. But yeah, this was horrible. I saw this. And then Shushboy Boy wrestled Muhammad Ali. And that match was. Mustafa
2: lasted...
3: Ali. Whatever. Well, one was an all-time... One was the
2: greatest, actually. And the other is Mustafa Ali.
3: Well, there you go. And Mustafa... Mustafa... Oh, Mustafa. He won this match in two minutes. And we were at 13 minutes of actual wrestling action in an hour and 52 minutes of the wrestling program.
2: I know both guys are good, but I skipped through this match because it was so long into the show. I was already running on fast forward, having a good time looking for good stuff. Yeah. I don't need to see these two. With that said, I'm surprised to hear who won because
3: I didn't expect to hear that. But at well, this at this point, this late in the show, who wants to see this match? Well, you know, the thing about Shoosh Boy is it takes a good man to beat him, but it don't take him long. And then Jimmy Uso stormed up to, or what they call it, rolled up to, pulled up to, cruised up to, uh, Sami Zayn in the back and said, what? What are you talking to my brother about? For four, what the fuck is Kevin Owens gonna do to you when you guys lose? He's gonna turn on you. <sighs> if it's that easy to find Sami Zayn, why didn't he just roll up on him with Solo and kick the shit out of him? Kick the shit out of him instead. And and also, I think we probably established that Owens is the babyface, and he's not gonna turn on Sami you know, even if they lose, because it's going to be the other guys that fuck them anyway, if they lose. So, but, but now, so now he's putting, and then Sammy's like, Ooh, he looks off thinking they're getting too complicated. 10 o'clock hour, Cody Rhodes versus Finn Balor. Suddenly an Island of pro wrestling in a sea of conversation and dramatic readings of scripted verbiage. And the in-ring quality, the performance on the program went up dramatically. It it, it was, I mean, high-quality professional wrestling, attention to the details, the little things. These guys are better than most everybody on the roster. But it doesn't matter because they went to break this time in four minutes. But goddamn, the closest thing we've had to a decent match, and we just show us the goddamn match. Uh, But Cody missed a crossbody, hit the rope, stopped himself for heat. Babyface thing to do. He didn't just let the fucking heel just cut him off eye to eye. And they went to the break and they come back. And as soon as they come back, Cody's fighting back, makes a comeback, hits a disaster kick, gets two count. They go back and forth. Cody tries the Cody cutter, but Finn, Finn foils it and gets some more heat and then Cody comes back and hits Cody cutter, gets a two count more back and forth. And finally, Cody hits the pedigree and a crossroads and one, two, three. And it was a good match and it got eight minutes on the air, four minutes before the break and four minutes afterwards. And again, it was the right thing to do. Cody wins with his finish, but it took him a while to get there and he teased it. So I guess eight minutes for a, you know, competitive match against main eventers um is the least we can hope for but they gave it to us your thoughts it's almost like aew
2: right now the cody segments are apart from everything else happening on the show good matches good promos not always making the most sense this is an all right match i mean i was already bored with this show so badly by this point it was an all right match
3: and then Seth Rollins, our friend Franklin, did an in-ring promo. And I I wrote, there's less talking on C-SPAN. And he's trying to sell us this fucking white elephant of a new world heavyweight title belt and goes over to the belt and says, some of us still want to fight. This is an opportunity to have a world heavyweight title. It's uh, about more than politics and part-timers. And that's where that, like, they're fucking up the whole reason they kept Roman Reigns undefeated, as we mentioned at, at length when we discussed Triple H's promo. But I, it's inexplicable they're trying to shove this thing down people's throats like it's some kind of good idea and that it would be valid if you set back and the people who want to see this or the people who want to see another pretty belt. And otherwise, it makes no sense whatsoever, the reason for it or doing it in general. And then Almost music plays, and here comes him and he MVP, because we're going to be seeing Seth Franklin Rollins versus Almost, upcoming at the, the big premium live gourmet restaurant quality limited edition event that they've got coming up. And I said, "Oh fuck, I'm done and skip this." Did I miss anything? MVP did a good promo. You got to see about, uh, a good promo about a
2: bad match. You got to see Franklin and his nanny outfit standing face to face or face to belly button with Almost, and that was kind of cool to see. I'm intrigued by what every time Almost has a match. I'm intrigued by what it'll be. I said the same thing about Brock. I can't wait to see him and Franklin. I think it'll be all
3: right. All righty. Well, now. Back to the bloodline and assorted baby faces saga. Now Riddle and Owens and Sammy were in the back. And Riddle is driving Owens crazy by talking to him. And I can identify with that. I can imagine what that would be like. And Sammy comes in and Owens, he was, where have you been all night? I was talking to the Usos. And Kevin's like, why were you, again, all night pointing at Riddle, like Riddle's been talking to me all fucking night. Why are you talking to them? Why do you care? They deserve whatever happens. Who gives a shit? And he walks off. And then Riddle tells Sammy that no matter what, don't worry because Sammy and Kevin are bros, and they're always going to be bros, bro. That may be another reason I don't like this guy and (sighs) and he referenced randy orton he referenced
2: his old friend who's not there anymore yes which perfectly sets up orton turning on him when he
3: comes back well either that or maybe could possibly could orton take riddle under his wing and have orton and riddle against sammy and kevin Maybe Riddle maybe Riddle would be more tolerable as as a heel that you were supposed to dislike rather than as a dipshit that you do dislike.
2: How about Orton comes back, wins the belt, and then Cody has to decide who he wants to go after because him and Orton have history.
3: Ah, or we could have a triple threat. All right. No, <laughs> no. no.
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. Well, we are at the main event. Time for the main event, which is Rey Mysterio against Damian Priest. And by the time we have set through the first two hours and 45 minutes of this program, featuring 13 minutes of mostly blah wrestling and eight minutes of Cody Rhodes and Finn Balor, 21 minutes total in two hours and 45 minutes, we get this match. Which starts and they go one minute and then on the screen they show a limousine pulling into the back of the arena and Bugs Bunny gets out of it. It's literally fucking 10.46 p.m. They promoted Bugs Bunny was going to be at Raw. Did he get stuck in traffic? He arrives at the building with 14 minutes left. This is why they rely on this shit even when it doesn't make sense because It was cool when we did it with Steve Austin 25 years ago. So let's do it all the fucking time. Anyway, so they went another minute in the match, then they went to the break. So again, the main event, they go a minute. They cut away to the parking lot to see a fucking car pull up. They come back and go a minute. They go to the break. They come back. We got nine minutes left on the air. We've seen two minutes of this match. And again Priest is he's improving and he we've always been a fan of his and his look, his voice, blah blah blah. And Ray is a pro. But it it's a match that kind of looks like all the other matches they have because they want all their matches to look alike and they don't get much time to develop. And then they go back and forth, get a couple of two counts. And then Priest leaves the ring and gets a chair, but Ray stops him, hits the 619, and goes to the top, and while he's on the top, Priest grabs the chair that he dropped and just pitched it and beamed Ray on the head with it. Bam! Disqualification! Again, a DQ. Deca- okay. And then Priest slams him and clears off the desk. But remember, Bugs is here. Apparently it takes approximately... Eight to nine minutes to get from the parking garage <laughs> through the backstage area into the ring and they- and he had to wait for his music cause as soon as priest clears off the desk, the music plays, and here comes bugs with a kendo stick now, Brian help me. I know he's armed with a with a weapon, but did you see the same thing that I saw? Did you see? A musician, even a globally recognized musician, but a musician who walks out (laughs) face to face, takes a kendo stick and wails on a six foot six, 250 pound pro wrestler who gets no fucking offense whatsoever and just beats him up and runs him off. Is that what you saw? Yeah, pretty much. And then he says, <laughs> "And by the way, I'm not going to host the the pay-per-view or the big event backlash. It's going to be you and me in a street fight match. <sighs> How about Elton John versus Wild Bull Curry on the undercard? Yeah, if I paid to see that, I would. I would too." If Bugs is willing to take bumps and willing to be physically a part of things, and even if he's dedicated and wants to do a good job, have a tag team match, have a handicap match, have a... You can't just... It's okay, this guy's a musician. He's never wrestled before, but by God, he's going to have a street fight with Damian fucking Priest, the largest member of the Judgment Day who's been a pro wrestler for even in the WWE canon universe, years. what <sighs> Mick Jagger versus
2: Moondog, Maine. It may have worked if Mick Jagger could do a moonsault.
3: Or a toupee. Uh, well, don't say anything about Mick's toupee. He's very touchy. Man's almost 80. He loses hair. Well, that was raw. Certainly was. Written by a, I was written chafed. by someone almost 80. I was chafed afterwards.
2: Well, let's unchafe you with a few questions before we get out of here this week, Jim. As we are recording a uh, hot-button issue happening in the world of wrestling, last night MJF tweeted out something and then immediately deleted it. And also, apparently, because he has the blue check mark, he can now tweet more than 180 characters. <laughs>
3: have you seen the MJF tweet? Oh, wait a minute! I thought it was—I thought it had gone to 220. Oh, whatever it is, he tweeted a lot more than that. A lot more. But have you seen this? I have not seen it. Well, I've—I've—I've I've, I've heard about it, but I have just read it to me. The more wrestling fans become bloodthirsty for these
2: dangerous feats in the ring the more wrestlers, excuse me, the more the wrestlers will hurt themselves trying to curry fans' favor. Wrestlers. The fans don't understand that at any given point we could be paralyzed from the neck down, or even die from a maneuver as simple as a body slam. By the way, fans reading this, body slams hurt. Every move hurts. They will keep moving the goalpost of what they deem is good. So before you do something stupid, consider this. Their tweet about your banger? Gonna pay for your medical bills? (laughs) Do the right thing. Go in that ring with the intention of winning the match and leaving the ring the same way you entered it. Get the winner's purse
3: and get out. Boom! I don't know how many characters that was, but it was as short and to the point and truthful and... Explanatory as can possibly be. Why would you delete that? Who could who could disagree with that? That's one of the most profound, succinct things I've heard said about wrestling by a wrestler to other wrestlers. I'm not sure if it's what caused it, but
2: apparently a lot of people on Twitter seem to think it may have been in reference to did Indy Hartwell get hurt last night on NXT? Something happened in a women's match on NXT that
3: may have either hurt someone or looked really bad. I don't know. Okay. Well, then it's, it's more apropos than ever that he should have said that because especially if something, well, I mean, something like that has always just happened, whether it was last week or a few days ago or 10 days ago or what, it's not like we go weeks and weeks without some incident where it looked like an inch either way and somebody would have been fucked. So It's always applicable, but especially more now if something had just happened. I think that that should be put up and copied and pasted up in every locker room in in the business.
2: He began the tweet with the more the fans become bloodthirsty for these dangerous feats, the more wrestlers are going to hurt themselves trying to curry the fans' favor. How do you react to that? If you're a young wrestler trying to get over, you're in a room where they're reacting to shit that's not the right thing to do. What do you
3: do? Well, a a young wrestler trying to get over, I'm an old manager that's already been over and don't care if I'm any more over. And I'm still insulted. That's what I'm talking about. If you're serious about being a wrestler and being in the business and doing it the right way and having a decent career and you feel like you've got talent, that's why these fuckers that have done this to the business are, should be your mortal enemy. The buckaroos and the twinkle toeses and those of their ilk, the gymnasts, the cosplay wrestlers, the everybody-can-participate crowd, the whole nine yards that have made a joke and a show out of it, and that's how they get over, by doing stupid shit, because that's the people, the audience that they appeal to the fucking ridiculousness crowd, or the the fans of Darby Allin that think he's really brilliant for jumping over his house for free on a fucking tricycle or whatever his goddamn thing is. And the, the more that they pollute and or prostitute what the wrestling business is, was, and is supposed to be, the harder it becomes for guys who don't want to do stupid, death-defying shit. Especially not for no money, but even for money. It makes it harder for them because the people have seen miscellaneous goofballs that they can't remember their name. They don't know what they look like. They couldn't pick them out of a police lineup. Hey, did you see the guy got set on fire on Twitter with a fucking baseball bat shoved up his ass? And everybody sees that for 10 minutes, and then nobody remembers who those motherfuckers are. Except the medical personnel that sew them up, stitch them up, wrap them up, graft their skin, whatever the case, they might remember them a little bit longer. And but and then the fans go, okay, well, remember, I've, I've said in this show, they made them chant for furniture instead of wrestlers. What do you if I, Goddamn, if Shawn Michaels, as temperamental as he was when he was on top, had been in the ring and during a wWF title match, people instead of chanting for the people in the ring would have been "We want tables, he'd have fucking left the goddamn match The problem was when the fans when it stopped being the young fans and the women chanting, and it started being the smart the grown fans adult chanting. men yeah. yeah the men used to be fishing in their fucking pocket for a knife to go cut the fucking heel. Now they're fucking chanting creative chants while guys are going through furniture. Uh, but in it, all of that, yes, all that plays a part. So yes, for the young wrestlers, that's why the, you should be offended that these people are in your business. That's why I have been offended that these people got allowed into my business because they make it harder for people who are serious about what they're doing and want to do it right because it and promoters like Tony Khan, or every independent promoter that wants to run garbage wrestling or have the greatest show of all time in front of 73 people in a fucking barn, they let those people, those wrestlers, get away with doing that shit. And then the fans see all that, and they go, after you've seen a motherfucker set on fire what else are you going to do to somebody and who are you going to get to cooperate with it? And you're not going to get anybody cooperate with it that anybody cares about. You're only going to get people to cooperate with this shit that are current garbage fucking wrestlers that nobody knows or cares or cares whether they live or die. So of course, yeah, throw the guy off the fucking roof. We don't give a shit because who the fuck is he? He's not a star. He's a circus geek. He's, Instead of biting the head off the live chicken, they're setting themselves on fucking fire. And the person putting out the tweet is
2: MJF. Maybe the best example of someone working smart that we've seen in a very long time. He doesn't wrestle often, but when he does, as he's pointed out, I think, he could do all the flips and stuff. He's shown it a few times. Yeah. He doesn't, because why do it all the time? Commander comes out there every week. He's running on the ropes. I've seen that. Big deal. But MJF does things in a smart way, and you hope that people see that and want to do more of that,
3: more of being a cerebral wrestler. Imagine that. He's the world champion for the only competition domestically to Vince McMahon's evil empire, and he's in his mid-20s, and he's got a tremendous upside and talking about a bidding war, and... He does it just because his shit makes sense and people know who he is and are moved to some emotion by what he says and does. Not airs another miscellaneous fucking frog-faced fuck jumping off the goddamn roof into a pile of barbed wire. I guess that's the hope, though.
2: You hope the next generation of wrestlers beyond who trains them, which is a whole nother issue, they're influenced by an MJF. They want to do something more like that than a Hate to use him as the example, but we already have Commander just having the ability to catch your breath and
3: run on the Well, rope. but it doesn't matter because if the promoters continue, I mean, it, Tony's the classic example. I'm sorry. And I know he's a nice guy and he does wonderful things to people. He's ADD or whatever initials he's got. He's a a numbers guy for a reason. Much like Uncle Dave sitting over there crunching all those quarter-hour ratings until your fucking eyes would bleed. There's something going on in the brain. And Tony books like a real dedicated mark, not just a fan, but a real dedicated mark, books in his basement, which is what Tony was doing by his own admission for the previous 20 years before he started this company. And if you don't have promoters that will draw a line and have some standards and put on a wrestling show instead of a stunt fest to make them popular with all the fucking friends they have on the indie scene, this is what we've got. And uh, you're not going to... Uh, most people unfortunately now have just moved on from wrestling because it's so hokey and silly and fake and childish and who the fuck is scared of all those guys and all the million reasons we talk about and guys that would be, have been serious in other generations about getting in the wrestling business. They look, they say, I don't have anything in common with these fucking cartwheeling kookamongans what the fuck i'm a six foot three 260 pound guy that played college football and now i'm bouncing in a fucking bar
2: and even if you want to talk about just angles and stuff okay i want to do serious things i want people to think of me seriously you work with them you have to do bad comedy bad skits branding cutlers behind the camera
3: let's make jokes about that Who wants or it's to do just that? it it's just the flavor of the whole thing some some big guy like that that would have got into pro wrestling in years past and now he'll go well what then they they'd have me on tv and they'd break my video game and i'm going to be mad about that whatever the fuck why would you want a- so the promoters need to be a, a not yanked in their tail as well as the wrestlers and mjf's tweet i give it a because it was perfect
2: well, Jim, before we get out of here, I did have uh, another story. I'm going to go to this first. We do have breaking news. We'll get to that in a second. Uh-oh. But, Jim, this was tweeted to us on Twitter using the hashtag corny drive from Christopher Bennett. Could, Jim, please comment on this disastrous moment in the history of our great city? I have a tweet here from Louisville Business First. Iconic Louisville area business closing after 71 years. But drugs. Oh, <laughs> and here's a quote: I've had so many people, like, why don't you just leave it open and make it an ice cream store? But that's not what put Butt Drugs on the map. It really isn't. What can you tell me
3: about Butt Drugs? Well, it's it's not actually in Louisville. It's a suburb of Louisville. It's over in Southern Indiana, out, out in out and it's been there, as they said, for 70 something years. And the family that they, I think the grandfather is the one, there's been some news stories on the closing recently here on the local news. The grandfather's name was Butt, B-U-T-T. And old Mr. Butt started this drugstore. store and it's in a little small town. It's on like the, you know, main street of, you can imagine what the, small town in the 50s main street southern indiana looked like and they had a soda fountain and an ice cream fountain but they also had like the old-time small town drug stores you get your medicine and your prescriptions you get ice cream snacks you know some grocery items and they leaned into the the whole butt drugs thing they would sell t-shirts you know and and uh, you know, their uh, milkshakes were called butt shakes, and they had like multiple flavors of <laughs> butt shakes. Nothing like a good butt shake on a hot afternoon in the summertime. And so, and now people are sad that the old place is going away. But the the granddaughter, I guess, was saying that you know the small mom and pop operations can't uh, you know make it anymore with the modern medical. You know, the Medicare reimbursements and the big chain drug stores and everything. So they've made the unfortunate decision to close down. I guess now it makes a little more sense why people
2: are saying you just stay open and do ice cream. They
3: yeah, everybody loves that. They, they don't necessarily like going over there to get, you know, remedies for their fucking crotch rod, but they love going to get a butt shake.
2: All right, Jim. Well, let's go to some breaking news here on the show. What's
3: happened? What I if we talk long enough, something will happen. Breaking legal news.
2: Rocka Khan has announced she's going all the way to the Supreme Court. Oh
3: boy. No, no, that's not it. That's not all it. All right. I Although I'm sure say, it is. Although I'm sure the, it is. Has the complaint been amended since I've heard last? I have an article here from Bloomberg Law
2: by Annalise Gilbert and Mike Leonard. Vince McMahon, WWE, sued oh by ex-writer over racist scene scripts oh no don't tell me world wrestling entertainment inc vince mcmahon and other executives allegedly discriminated and retaliated against a black female writer
3: oh, okay i thought you were the writer i thought it was gonna be shit stain oh come on you thought I he thought would you sue? Were gonna say shit. well yeah a writer Uh, retaliated
2: against a black female writer for objecting to, quote, offensively racist and stereotypical jargon, end quote, used in the scripts of black wrestlers, including Bianca Belair and Apollo Crews, according to the new lawsuit. Brittany Abraham's multiple complaints were ignored, and she was pretextually terminated from taking home a WrestleMania-branded chair well, excuse wait, me, wait, for wait, wait, taking what? home a WrestleMania-branded chair, according to the complaint in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern
3: District of New York on Monday. They fired her because she stole a chair. It's one of those take-home souvenir, gourmet restaurant-quality take-home chairs from the big pay-per-views. Right. Do they have extras of those lying around, or are they the people I've who pay for the seats? I've a couple here that, I've, you know, they gave me from the warehouse, uh, but I... I I don't think just every writer automatically gets one, but it, it that does seem like something they would have just said. You know, put that down. Just don't take that. Not, you're fired for stealing a chair. McMahon reinstated
2: himself to the WWE's board in January and faces ongoing litigation stemming from his alleged rape and sexual assault of employees. The WWE recently announced its plans to merge with the UFC which would create a $21.4 billion enterprise.
3: Abraham's. I'll I'll go ahead. I was just going to say, backing up for a second though, when in the complaint, we, we fixated on the chair, but instead she's mad because they were putting this verbiage in the script. I hate that word scripts, but that's what happens when you let outsiders in the wrestling business. They use that terminology. It's the terminology they're using, though. That, it's not like she's that's, invented it. That's Well, that's what I'm saying. All these people, the, all the writing staff are outsiders, in my opinion. I'm not saying just her. Anybody that uses the word script in the wrestling business is an outsider. But nevertheless, do, I guess what I'm saying is, should she be the one to sue, or should apollo cruz and bianca belair be the ones to sue did they say it or did when it was given to them did they say i can't say that shit or i don't want to or what and didn't say did they say it or did they not say it and why wouldn't it be their problem they weren't asking her to say it
2: abrahams began writing for wwe smackdown and wwe monday night raw in 2020 according to the complaint she complained of racial and gender stereotypes in scripts, including ones instructing Bel-Air to say, quote, uh-uh, don't make me take off my earrings and beat your ass, and Cruise. the Wait, 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 <laughs> Yeah, I'm what? reading that. I don't know what the problem with that is. There's <laughs> some racial connotation there that I'm not getting?
3: Uh, wait, yeah. Uh, what? Unless, uh, I mean, I, I could see Stone Cold saying that, except for the earrings part. Let me take my watch off and... I could see Jesse Ventura saying it with the earrings part. With the earrings, yeah. Okay, well, that's highly inflammatory language. Go ahead. And Cruz to speak
2: with a stereotypical and exaggerated Nigerian accent.
3: Well, now, that was fucking ridiculous that he suddenly became Nigerian with a spear. They did everything but change his name to Spear Chucker Jones. For you, Mash fans in the audience, but was rebuffed. She said,
2: "WWE didn't immediately respond to Bloomberg Law's request for comment." The next sub uh, category here, the next heading, I should say, harmful stereotypes. She was allegedly subject to a number of racist pitches after complaining on a Slack thread that McMahon and his daughter Stephanie McMahon were included on. Okay, help me. Uh, A place for all the writers and the McMahons to share ideas all at once.
3: Online. Good lord, thank god they hadn't invented all this shit when I was there. I'd have never got to sleep. Go ahead.
2: Once again, McMahon and his daughter Stephanie McMahon were included on this Slack thread. Other writers suggested a black male wrestler should dress in drag. Only when a white writer noted that doing so could, quote, perpetuate harmful stereotypes that would offend viewers was the pitch
3: <sighs> scrapped. Wait said. a minute. See it's it's this is why that I it's almost impossible for me to have any sympathy for any writer in the wrestling business because what that's the whole idea of wrestling? Somebody should get offended and pissed off. But besides that, how is it diff- how is it racist if you have a black Wrestler dressing as a woman, but but it's okay. How is that racist? Shouldn't that be sexist? Well, I think is that just okay goes to stereotypes. Guys to dress as women? Well, what's the fucking stereotype? I don't know. Maybe the rest of I'm this will confused. clear it. Up. Uh, me too. On another occasion,
2: a writer allegedly proposed that a Muslim wrestler's secret in a script <laughs> be <laughs> oh come on. <laughs> on another occasion. A writer allegedly proposed that a Muslim wrestler's secret in a script be that he was quote behind the nine eleven attacks. <laughs> <laughs> was that Mustafa Ali? Were they going to make him a terrorist behind the nine eleven attacks?
3: I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but, okay. Abraham's and other writers complain. How can this be suing material? Shouldn't uh, <laughs> If somebody actually pitched that seriously, I think the worst thing that should happen to them is they should get fired for being stupid.
2: Let's go back to this. Abrahams and other writers complained about the comments to which Vice President Christine Lubrano allegedly responded, quote, Wacky things are said in the writers' room all the time. And, I know, but look at the waves we're making in the company. Four years
3: ago, no woman worked on the writer's team. And it sounds like they need to go back to that fucking uh, environment because apparently you let one on and it becomes a big problem because they get whiny when they get fired for stealing a chair. What in the world? Yes, crazy, stupid shit gets pitched all the time in booking meetings, I refuse to say the writer's room. Well, hey, but even if you have writers, if any of those people are comedy writers, those people pitch crazy, wacky shit. That's what they do for a living. Yes. If they're comedy and, writers. And hopefully the person in charge, Vince was used to be good at editing years ago when he had one of those wacky people on his staff. Person in charge will go, yeah, right, no. Moving on. But... If... Uh, I don't understand how this is so offensive to this woman that she feels the need to sue when she's, as I used to term it, you know, in Ring of Honor, this fucking, the merchandise weasel is talking to the fucking bosses. How the fuck does that even happen? Because of this HR business they've got today in all these companies, which is why wrestling was never meant to be uh, run like a real business in that respect. You, everybody is going to fucking say shit to offend everybody in the company and everybody at one point or another in a wrestling company is going to threaten to punch another motherfucker in the face get over it why'd she take a job in the wrestling business if she didn't want to hear shit pitched that because sounds she didn't, like what she was
2: being pitched because she didn't take a job in the wrestling business she took a writing job from this major entertainment company that's the well, way the WWE pitches it and that's the way they try to pretend they see themselves this is what
3: happens. Then somebody ought to fucking get them for false advertising. Wait a minute, I thought I was going to write for fucking Universal Studios. Instead, I'm I'm on the fucking Carnival Midway, ballyhooing the fucking fight. Abrahams continued to oppose racist, sexist pitches, she said, and was fired in retaliation in April 2022. Sounds like she was a pain in the ass that kept bringing shit up when other people were trying to do shit, and they said, you know what, we were a lot fucking happier when you weren't here. I don't know. I mean, look, if
2: she was the only person raising an objection to the Apollo cruise thing, then that's a valuable voice to have there, because someone needs to say this is the stupidest fucking thing and counterproductive. Well, yeah, but
3: it wasn't stupid because it was racist. It was stupid because it was stupid. And it wasn't going to help the talent at all. And again, who's going to listen to some miscellaneous man or woman that's never goddamn had any experience whatsoever or involvement in the wrestling business. That lands in one of these jobs because they advertise in variety or whatever. When you're talking about it, it I don't understand why any field of endeavor It it, it tries to attract people to orchestrate it or write it or produce it or whatever that have never been involved in it before, but it's the biggest company in the world that's doing it. She is seeking reinstatement, damages. She wants to go back where she was so miserable. (laughs) So they will continue to pitch shit that she doesn't like. She is seeking reinstatement, damages, declaratory
2: judgment. And an injunction restraining defendants from engaging in such
3: unlawful conduct. Well, how the fuck is that? Okay, they're going to call each one of the writers in and say, now here's some things that you can't say anymore. What? Yeah, why wouldn't they just say, okay, we're going to fire the writing team. Now we're going to go back to
2: a booker. That's all you have to do. But the final subheading here, McMahon controversies. McMahon left the WWE board in mid-2022 after nearly four decades in charge, while facing sexual assault and hush money allegations. But he stormed back to the helm in January when he used his majority voting control over the company to name himself chairman again. The corporate coup reinstated McMahon as the head of WWE, excuse me, as the head of a WWE royal family that includes his daughter Stephanie, who stepped down as chairman and co-CEO in January, and son-in-law, the former wrestling star Paul, Triple H Levesque. The surprise move drew a wave of shareholder lawsuits, challenging bylaw changes McMahon pushed through that would allegedly have stripped power from the WWE board. After McMahon walked them back, several of the cases were dropped. Although litigation is ongoing, over the assault and hush money claims. Cochrane Firm represents Abrams. Cochrane? Okay. what? Coch- I think that's Johnny Cochran's firm. The Cochran Firm. Oh, I thought firm. you said Cochrane Firm. I did not say that. But that's interesting. Litigation is still ongoing for the assault and hush money claims because he settled with Rita Chatterton. Have we heard anything else about ongoing litigation right now about
3: the sexual harassment? I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember what the final tally was. I think we were up the tally whacker, possibly. We were up around 25 million bucks, but... That's a lot of tally-ho. Yeah, there you go. But here's here's the thing with this young lady again. If people were being racist or mean to her specifically, demonstrably, calling her names or, you know... Uh, browbeating her in such a fashion that she was uncomfortable or even if they were pitching hey we should have everybody in Klan outfits or whatever that might be one thing but she's not saying that anybody was even impolite to her or racist to her or sexist to her that they were pitching ideas that she didn't like well then change your fucking job lady If somebody was really, for true, for sure, harassing her or fucking, in some way or another, making comments about her race or religion or whatever it may be, then that's that's fine. Then do what you got to do. But she's pissed off because she sounds like that she was a whiny bitch that got in the goddamn way of the meetings and didn't get a lot of her concerns addressed because nobody else was concerned about it and if the the Bianca one is bizarre the Bianca example is bizarre because I don't see what the problem is there what am I missing and and again a black man can't dress up like a woman if it was a white guy it'd be okay well what the fuck is the difference then that would be sexist not racist but it's actually not sexist because if you're a man that will dress up like a woman then you're pretty much probably not homophobic So I don't know what the point is. (laughs) If if she was upset enough to sue someone and believe that it was grounds to sue over the examples that were just cited, I think that she's being an annoying, whiny person. And I, I agree that it is a little extreme to fire somebody for taking home one of the take-home souvenir chairs, but they probably were looking for any reason to get that piece of human cholesterol out of their artery. That's my fucking thoughts.
2: Well, those are the thoughts of Jim Cornette, and the drive-through with that has closed, and we've gotten so many questions the last few weeks. We're going to try to get as many as we can on the next show. Uh, Sorry to everyone we haven't gotten to your questions. Uh, So many have come in. But Jim, let's get a song or two and get out of here. Jim this first song sent in from London UK a former song participant I am the pelican. Here's his song.
0: It's fucking unfortunate that I have to come up here and speak on this
2: when I'm on my time and this is a fucking business. <laughs>
0: At the press scrum, what do you see? Punk speaking his mind freely, oh. airing his anger. He says what he means, shooting on those EVPs, while Tony sits there anxiously. No Mussolini. It's got me down That CM Punk is not around CM Punk is not around CM Punk is not around With blood and sweat There he sits Back and forth With the alleged journalists He's had enough Now he's pissed He's old and tired And works with
4: kids
0: (laughs) That dumb fuck cowboy Went on TV Went off script just for his birthday account with his mommy nothing can sue a punk except maybe one or two or even three muffins from Mindy's bakery <laughs> let goddamn the swollen eye, Larry barked, a chair took flight, and Kenny felt the wrath of Ace. fucking Jericho The bookings disastrous Backstage is too and
4: I work with
2: fucking children. Well, there it Whoa. is. The return of I Am The Pelican.
4: Wow. Hit can song. can
3: stand up? Can you? Stand up for heaven's sake. What a remdition. And the musicianship and the writing and the vocals and the whole nine yards. Excellent. Absolutely. Please send in more songs, I Am The Pelican. <laughs> Just- We'll just, we'll just play your shit instead
2: of doing our show ourselves. You're better. We're certainly not going to top that song this week. So with that, the drive through has closed. I said we weren't going to top it, and then I topped it right there. Of course. Oh, boy. Jim will top you off again this weekend on the Jim Cornette Experience, wherever you find your favorite podcast. And next week, right back here on the drive-through, once again, wherever you find your favorite podcast. Did you say top you off or toss you off? Whatever makes whatever floats your boat, big boy. Of course, you can hear more from Jim. Go back through the archives, going back to the very beginning in 2013. Patreon.com/slash Cornette for only five dollars a month to get access to the archives. Patreon.com /cornette You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And don't forget about the Wrestling News. Wherever you find your favorite podcast or get it directly from the com. free daily wrestling newscast every single day, the Wrestling News. Of course, subscribe to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel, 350,000 subscribers and growing by the day. Be one of them now. Subscribe, get access to full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, and so much more. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Cornett's Collectibles at JimCornette.com. What's going on over there?
3: I'm headed down to sign some more action figures. It won't be as long as it's been. Buy everything! I'll send it to you sooner or later. At JimCornette.com. The drive through is
2: brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888 692 8084. Get even with Stephen at newlawoffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week right back here on The Drive through. For Jim Cornett, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally
1: ho! Well, it's Jim Cornett's drive through. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's drive through Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fuck and Putin and those outlaw much show fucks. Joey Ryan, the Young Bucks, the Rednecks and Dumb Fucks, and them door corner bum fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella and Santino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Tony drive through. Conies drive through. Conies drive through. When it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his millions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games, just like Kenny Omega.
4: The mighty cult of cornets and to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, pick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts,
1: and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese cool girls like Kenny Omega. Love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven. Kid, everybody. Connie's drive-through. Connie's drive-through. Connie's drive-through. Connie's drive-through. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.